This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash 302010. That's storyblocks.com slash 302010. And let them help tell your story. Sharon Stone uncrosses her legs, Blade strikes again, and Jennifer Lawrence shoots a bow. This week on 302010. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a rip-roaring journey across three decades. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Santista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and I've glued the sardines to my hand. And I'm J.R. Rawls, and why aren't the odds ever in my favor? <laughs> all right, yes, welcome to 302010. In case you don't know what we do, we examine all the uh, movie, TV, video game newsishness anniversaries from 30, 20, and 10 years ago. From this very week, and this week, from this week of recording, it is March 18th to the 24th in 1992, 2002, and uh, 2012. And you can see... How much the world changes in ten years, and this 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 time I think it's how exponentially different the world is every ten years. Just mm-hmm. looking at box office numbers, because we will be talking about one of the highest grossing movies uh, ever. I think it's up there, at least as far as a franchise goes. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's true. And, uh, and we have two movies that it's like it's it's like a thing that doesn't happen anymore, but then it does, where it's like. One person appears in one movie, and now they're the biggest star in the world. Yes. It, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's one movie, and you are huge and will be for the next four years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and also, like, is kind of the crescendo moment of that entire genre. We will talk yes. about that as we move forward. i got to say right off the bat, this show is brought to you by Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Um, and I want to thank executive producer Christopher Hare and the many other fine people giving us five bucks or more at Patreon.com slash LazerTime. You get extra shows. JR and I just recorded a show with all of your feedback from February, uh, our February programs. We should get started back with uh, the video game uh, 302010 showcase with the video game, video game Apocalypse, guys. Laser Time is going to be all Oscars, and I'm done with plugs so we can get ready to do the gosh darn show. What do you say, fellas? And Diana. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and let's start off with a little bit of news to bring you into the wonderful world of 1992. On March 18th, businesswoman Leona Helmsley sentenced to uh, four years for tax evasion. Yeah, well, taxes are for the little people. Uh, her maid says she said that. Mm-hmm. She denied it to her dying day. Wow. And uh, Donald Trump was actually her biggest rival at the time and was constantly criticizing her for firing people. <gasps> what? He would never do that or misappropriate funds or fail to pay people. Oh, not Donald. Yeah, I, th- this is so because uh, I'm a little kid at this point. I have heard I heard this name over and over again. And I, up until this moment, I didn't know why. <laughs> Be- because David Letterman lived in New York and yes. he's a New York celebrity. <laughs> yeah. You know that's why you and me and a bunch SNL of SNL and comedy geeks know mm-hmm. about her because to all the New York comedians, yeah, of course you know her. I, I literally, right. she's a big developer. She owns lots and lots of buildings. I read the but... name and I was like. Is that Wheezy? No, no. <laughs> I just had no context for the name. I, I, but yeah, now I sort of know. 
but we're not here to talk about no. business failings. Yeah, but she finally got nailed for something, uh, mostly for yeah, misappropriating funds from her business to be put into her ridiculously lavish house. And uh, she did like two years. That's about it. Club fed, and then she got back out. She was fine. And then left all her money to her dog. <laughs> Gotta love it when that happens. Uh, at least that one dog will be taken care of for a few more months. And then on the twentieth, Janice Pennington is awarded $1.3 million for uh, an accident on the Price is Right set? Yeah, she was one of the Price is Rights girls, and a camera clocked her. Not a little thing. Like, banged into her. They were worried she died. Yes. She got rushed to to the hospital, and uh, she never wore swimsuits Mm -hmm. on the Price is Right again because she had scars. And And her her shoulders were literally misaligned after this accident. Yeah. And I, I don't know if she won the money on this date. I think this is the date when it happened. Because she continued to do the show for, like, I think up until 2000. And, mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, just a bizarre accident. I shouldn't admit well, uh, I would love to see footage of. If... <laughs> I tried to find it. I can't find it anywhere. I don't think it's available. I the accident admit. was in June of 1988. So this is the... Oh, uh, oh okay. The, so maybe I'm confused. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine... I'm just surprised that doesn't happen more mm-hmm. on live television. Those cameras are big. Yeah, dude. Every time you they see... They are big and, and they are heavy. Every and time you see SNL like open up, it's like a hours. camera swinging over like six inches over the head of a crowd. Yeah. And the camera operator is looking through the camera. Yeah. They're not, you know, looking behind them. And if someone wanders off where they're not supposed to be, yeah, I can see that happening. Yeah, I do. But she's a pro. She's been doing this for years. So I guess the camera guy fucked up. Bonk. Uh, that's not going to hit the blooper reel. Well, let's move on to the movies of 1992, March 18th to the 24th. Ooh, I uh, Spoiler, I was 11 and couldn't see any of these movies. <laughs> not a single one. Not a single one. Actually, on VHS, I'm sure you watched one of them. I, uh, mm-hmm. not to, I don't even want to say it. This is the week I'm turning 12, so I can no longer say I'm 11. Oh, I that's true. Happy birthday. I am 12. Yes, thank you very much. I accept yeah. presents in the form of Patreon donations. Patreon.com. And so. you were like, you know what my little 12-year-old heart wants to see in the theater mm-hmm. so bad? I want to see a Woody Allen film about German expressionism. Mom, Dad, I want to see Shadows and Fog. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the most indulgent-looking movies I've ever seen in my entire yes. life. That makes me both hate Woody Allen more and like... <sighs> Sort of sucks there's no one celebrating shit like this anymore, even though I don't care. But look at this cast that got involved with this, because I've never even heard of this film. Um, And my dad's a big Woody Allen fan. It's very obscure. It's not very Woody Allen-ish, mm-hmm. because, like I said, it is very Bergman meets Murnau meets Fritz Lang, Fritz Lang. German Expressionism, you know, about, like, people in the 20s in some Eastern European country, and there's, like, a murderer. It it is a, it's all in black and white. A black and white, uh, set a black and white 1930s tribute in 1992, and I just I was just looking at this and like, yeah, they they Orion said if you're gonna make this unapproachable movie, you have to star in it. And he's like, "What? It's not really like a movie that I'd that I'd be in." That's why it feels different because his character probably shouldn't. This should be one of the movies Woody Allen is not in. But it, like mm-hmm. anything extra to make any money off this, because look at this cast: Lily Tomlin, Donald Pleasance, uh, Kate Nelligan, Nelligan, uh, Kenneth Mars, John Malkovich, Madonna, Julie Kavner, of course, Jodie Foster, Mia Farrow, John Cusack, and Kathy Bates. And yeah, I believe I one of the most expensive Woody Allen movies ever made. Yeah. Don't watch. And the one that he full on said, like, yeah, I knew it was box office poison. Yeah. I 
it's just where where the artistic muse was taking me and it's like my god i wish we could do this for every other director for real just let them do here is 50 million dollars that's not what this costs but like yeah you just give literally anyone 50 million dollars and say do whatever you feel this was almost 20 million dollars yeah it was it was incredibly expensive very big bomb I, i mean seriously like my dad Watches a ton of Woody, Woody Allen movies, exposed me to them at a young age. Probably shouldn't use that word in regards to Woody Allen movies. Uh, <laughs> and, and he has several box sets, and this is not included in any of them. Yeah, it's it's the one where it's like there's the one weird random dude who is like, we'll champion this, but everyone else ranks it real low. It's just like, well, he was doing something, I guess. And now we can enjoy it following even further into obscurity. After yeah, I'm, I'm going to say this is a bit of a humble brag or maybe just an embarrassment brag. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a Woody Allen. Brag. Hell yeah. Look at you. Whoa. Twitter's going to love that uh, on purpose. Yeah. I mean, I did, have you done that? Back in time. Uh-huh. And I told my younger self, this guy is going to be canceled. So never watch <laughs> his movies as you're growing up. That's what so I did. So was it out of disinterest I... Or was it out of, you know, yes, you took a stand. I didn't or, take a stand. Yeah. I, I wish I could I shouldn't have said that, that was... so sarcastically. I mean, <laughs> if you want to take a stand, absolutely take a stand. No, no. And <laughs> yeah, it was pure, I don't know if this is right for me. And then eventually when I started getting into more adult cinema, that's when it started to get out there in the broader consensus. But, you know, you're talking to a guy who also watched Chinatown. So, you know... Mm when I knew all about the director of Chinatown. Yeah. So if, if there was like some burning desire to watch a Woody Allen movie, I'd probably watch it, but I just got, have never had that burning desire. He's got like five that are incredible. Yeah. But he also has made a movie every year for the last 50 years. Yes. So, you do so not... batting average wise could be better. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, that's why like I have to separate the art from the artist because goddamn. He's got at least five that are just fucking it's, great. I, I think, JR, you're not alone in that Woody Allen movies don't even play well on cable. And you kind of need a father-like figure to force you to watch these. <laughs> Moving on to perhaps the best movie of the week. Where it was at least <laughs> one of the best casts I've ever seen. A great cast. And it is a fun punchline when you're making fun of somebody. Yes. And uh, uh, Robin Williams Kathy Griffin, Paul Dooley, Tom Kenny, Blake Clark, Adam Sandler, Julie Brown, and Bobcat Goldthwait in his directorial debut, Shakes the Clown. Oh. Uh, yes, I believe the tagline is the Citizen Kane of alcoholic clown movies. Yes. <laughs> uh, allegedly, Martin Scorsese said that. Right. That's what I've heard. <laughs> About this no, movie. because it's, it's. I think it's leaving Las Vegas with clowns. Yeah. It, well, I, the I, movie begins with a kid bumping a drunk man's head on the bathroom and then going to use the bathroom and peeing on the drunk clown. And then a freshly fucked Florence Henderson <laughs> from the Brady Bunch comes in. Where do you go from that? Yes. The answer is he goes straight to a children's party after getting pissed on. Yeah. And <laughs> actually, probably pissing himself that night. And actually juggling. I, I just, I've never seen. It's hard to explain this to younger people, but JR just described the first scene. This yeah. movie lived in whispers throughout the schoolyard. It was difficult to see. Uh, your parents wouldn't rent it for you, but like, yeah, that guy with the weird voice made a rated R clown movie that is like deliberately disgusting in every way. It's hard to call it a good movie, but mm. its its intentions are clear and carries it. It's out its own thesis. 
to it, the end. It takes place in a bizarre world where clowns Palookaville. are this major cultural phenomenon. You know, yeah. you've got your cop bars and then you've got your clown bars. Yeah. And everyone it... is like, oh, have you fucked a clown? As if that's a thing. <laughs> Yeah, it seemed like clowns are just an actual minority. Yes. Like like they're yeah. Latinos. And by but, the way, that's But it's clowns, except they also they have the gang rivalry with the mimes. With the... So they they got to rumble anytime they see mimes, you know. And I my yeah. fa- my favorite bit of writing in the movie is the name of the the clown bar, uh the Twisted Balloon. <laughs> uh where he, where Shakes meets up with his friends Adam Sandler and Blake Clark from every other Adam Sandler movie like a very young Adam Sandler. I don't know in his first film role, but his first major role, like, I think he's barely on SNL, but he, this is a big role for him. I love this movie, but find it difficult to recommend. It it lives up to Fair. the hype. It is disgusting. Yeah. And I don't know, not, not bad on purpose, but intentionally trying to, like, be disgusting. I like that. <laughs> yeah. It's trying to be off-putting. It really felt like a trauma movie to me. Yeah, yes. It had oh, a very... Yeah you know cheap and weird and you know unlovable aesthetic but like my big takeaway watching this is if i saw this in 1992 just going in cold tom kenny is the guy i would want to know more about and that is so crazy that like out of everyone except maybe robin williams whose part's really small he's the biggest star in this fucking thing (laughs) now he's goddamn spongebob i i am shocked that with this cast they made it forget this one million dollars now it's very hard for a movie that only cost a million dollars to bomb, but this movie bombed. Yeah. <laughs> this movie made one hundred thousand oh. dollars. <laughs> I mean, that's not far away from Dark Dungeons lifetime gross. That's <laughs> chairs. Oh. Uh, uh you know what's crazy is we're gonna talk about an outstanding movie from twenty twelve that was made for a million dollars. Wow. So everything wow. gets compared to Shakes the Clown from now on. But yeah, there's explosions and classic cars and fight sequences and special effects. It's got everything you'd want from a movie and then a big heaping scoop of a bunch of stuff you'd never want in a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a Robin, uncredited Robin Williams performance. And Tom, I love that. Tom Kenny is Bobcat Goldthwaite's childhood friend. And that's Aww. that's where uh, they got their names. They When they went into a comedy club in their teams, a guy gave Bob the name Bobcat and Tom the name Tomcat. And so they've been friends since they were they were kids, and that's you'll see Tom Kenny a lot of Bobcat Goldthwait stuff. Who, by the way, is one of my consistently most favorite directors that exists. This being like his hardest to recommend movies, and they're all hard to recommend, but they're great. <laughs> they're I, great. I have to admit that uh, looking at, trying to look up like was there a clip or an ad or something? Yeah, no, there's not. If you look up Shakes the Clown, one of the first things that you get is Bobcat on Arsenio promoting the movie and oh, talking yes. about Florence Henderson and. That like it was her idea to put a hickey on her boob, you know. <laughs> Smear makeup. And he's like, yeah, okay, Florence Anderson, you do that. And he just seems so like he's kind of in character, but he seems really nervous and scared and like embarrassed by his movie, but also really proud of it. And then that just sent me down a whole other rabbit hole of especially Bobcat and Robin Williams doing appearances promoting World's Greatest Dad. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I probably lost an hour just looking at that. Them on Alan Carr. That's fucking awesome. great. I miss Robin so much now. And that's and that's a, it's a time before the internet. This that's probably why the movie didn't make. I bet it had a problem finding distribution. Well, oh, it's and, weirdly structured. Uh, generally speaking, you want your inciting incident to happen in the first like 10 minutes of a film. Mm-hmm. Guess how long the inciting incident yeah, takes to happen in this film? It's like an hour. Yeah, 50 it's, minutes. It's, I clocked it. <laughs> 50 minutes to get to the inciting incident. It's there there is something like 
Trump, Diana said trauma, mm. but I very amateurish about this film. But yeah. it's his it's his first film, making it with friends on a low budget. If you can call a million dollars a low budget, but but before there was the internet, this movie existed in rumor. It was difficult mm-hmm. to find, difficult to see. Every like most of my friends knew about it, but had never seen it. I was just watching the in- intro. We've seen a thousand TV shows with like a drunken, alcoholic, slovenly, tidy, whitey clad, chubby guy, but that was not happening in in movies in mainstream movies thirty years ago. So I think this movie deserves a ton of credit for just making something. It's just so intentionally repulsive with very talented people. <laughs> <laughs> And there we've talked more about Shakes the Clown than anyone has in 30 years. I love it. I love it. I will not have as much to say about Noises Off, a movie with uh, Denholm Elliott, Nicolette Sheridan, Mark Lynn Baker, Mary Lou Henner, John Ritter, Christopher Reeve, Julie Haggerty, Carol Burnett, and Michael Caine. Noises Off. Touchstone Pictures presents the story of a little theater company headed for Broadway. Hold it! All they have to do is keep their lines straight. We'll only just manage to fit it in. I mean, we'll only just do it. I mean, their clothes off. Okay, I'll take it off. here. And their hands off each other. So the name Noises Off refers to the sound made off stage to be heard by the audience of a play. And this is a very, very meta film because mm. it's about the making of a play three times in movie format. What? And it's complex. Because first you you see the play rehearsal, then you see the play behind the the scenes, just from literally the back of the stage. Like if you're the audience, the reverse of being the audience, you're just looking on the other side. And then you see the final performance from the audience. Play, this is incredible. I had one of my best theater-going experience of all times watching this play at the uh, Sydney Opera Theater House. Ooh. In uh, yeah, Australia, and it was the first time I'd ever seen this play, and it blew my socks off. To me, this is like the difference between watching fireworks in an open field with your friends and watching fireworks on the television. When you see this play live, you are seeing an incredible choreograph by multiple actors interacting with themselves and with props in this dance of chaos. And while you can capture some of that in a film. It doesn't get the craziness that a live performance gets, in my opinion. Yeah, I I totally agree. This is, if you have the chance to see Noises Off live, that is definitely the way to do it. Because like JR said, it is three acts. Act one, you see the play. So now you understand what to look for. Act two, they literally usually just turn the whole set around. So you're watching backstage. And then you watch a, a third performance where it goes even worse than ever. And <laughs> this, they keep that general structure, but instead of it being like, the rehearsal, the opening night, and the next night, it's separated by time. Michael Caine's the director, and he gets a little narration about, like, and then we went to Cleveland, and that's when all hell broke loose. So it's like, so you guys have been performing this a while? That doesn't seem right. And it's still, it's really funny. I'm not going to say it's not, I I had a lot of laughs, and everyone's really good in it. But the you know the idea of sometimes sometimes I think longer... a, a little Peter Bogdanovich sits on your shoulder and watches over you. I think that guy <laughs> in particular makes things meant for you, Dime. Yeah, yeah, but I mean the the problem is that it's like there's so much of it is like physical comedy all going on at the same time that when you're cutting, mm. it just kind of loses the 
flavor. It's so much funnier when you yeah. see this just nothing, you know, there there is no break. Everyone is always on stage and they're always doing something crazy. But when you can cut, well, it just it's, it loses some of that fun. It's still it's still funny. Obviously, yeah. just the play is way better. It's, it's so and they, they have to shoe on a Hollywood happy ending. The play yeah. ends with what is probably the worst performance of any play of all time. <laughs> and in the Hollywood version, somehow that makes it a huge success. They producers it, man. Oh, they fail wow. so hard, they succeed. Overall, it's a recommend because... Wow. You know, you can watch this anytime, but you can't see a live version. But and because everyone's really good, John Ritter obviously was always amazing at physical comedy. Carol Burnett, awesome. Yeah, uh, Denholm Elliott, I think it's his last role. He's a lot of fun, but yeah, overall, it's like mm. I'm shocked I never heard of it. But uh, we just lost Bogdanovich, didn't we? The director, we just <laughs> lost Bogdanovich, and it's an odd choice for him because it is very stagey and he keeps it very stagey. There's no reason or way really to open this up the whole point is that it's all taking place backstage or on stage i figured he learned so, a lesson with at long last love <laughs> no raw theatrical oh, thank productions. god there's no singing but yeah it is oh it's so fucking silly mm -hmm. but it's still like oh but it i can see ways it could be better they never give Mark Lynn Baker much to do, and he is also incredibly funny at physical comedy. That's uh, not Balky from Perfect Strangers. <laughs> Christopher Reeve is way funnier than I expected. And yeah. uh, honestly, without nostalgia goggles, I think this is probably John Ritter's funniest film. Whoa! Take that, yeah. real men, or stay tuned. <laughs> uh, or um, Skin Deep. Oh, dear. Oh, John Ritter. He was so gifted. He was. <laughs> no one made anything. No one, uh, he just needed better material. And those, these are all small-ass indie movies that barely got released because everyone oh. got the living fuck out of the way of the number one movie. One last thing about Noises Off. I just yeah. thought of how they should fix it. Mm. Yeah. One take. Yeah, yeah, totally. Each scene... You know, each of the three acts is one continuous take. Uh, when, you yeah. when, when you described the plot, I thought Birdman immediately. Yeah, steady cam it, baby. That's all oh, I could think yeah. of. Birdman's essentially trying to do the same thing. And, yeah, and, that's a lot of backstage, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, everyone, the big guy. <sighs> super bizarre that this how, is the biggest we movie. Had, we just said Shakes the Clown cost a million dollars to mm -hmm. make. Let's talk about a script that cost $3 million to buy. Wow. <laughs> A Joe Three Esterhouse script. million dollars. Wow. Which is adjusted for inflation, $6 million today. Wow. Paul Verhoeven directs okay. Wayne Knight, Newman, uh, Dorothy Malone, Leilani uh, Surreal, uh, Dennis Arndt, Janine Triplehorn, George Zunda, oh God, Sharon Stone, Michael Douglas, in the movie that's number one at the box office this week, Basic Instinct. <laughs> We got 31 stab wounds. What was it? Ice pick. I wanted to write a book about the murder of a retired rock and roll star. You know how she does the boyfriend with an ice pick. She intended the book to be her alibi. You like playing games, don't you? It's nice. You've got no physical evidence. She's lying. What's your new book about? A detective. He falls for the wrong woman. What happens? She kills him. Ooh, God, I'm letting a little steam out of my collar. Uh, Laser Time did an episode uh, last year about the lost art of the erotic thriller, and this really is the absolute is peak of it. This is, this is it. the the highest grossing erotic thriller ever made. I know we just discussed at the time before the internet, couples going to erotic films to get their jollies while not quite 
watching porn <laughs> and it just kind of went away and we don't see it anymore but basic instinct is the pinnacle of that and i have uh, i feel like i'm being really gross this episode have watched this movie 1000 times for <laughs> easily definable reasons and i still don't really know what the plot is i <laughs> it's a neo-noir thriller yes. Yes. and other than roger rabbit this was the first noir film I ever watched. And it was for exactly the reasons you can guess I watched it. <laughs> no. And it's not very good. No. no. I've seen a bunch of noir films since then. And you've got films from the 1940s. You've got films from the 1950s that are way better plots than this. Way better characterization than this way more realistic dialogue than this i don't get how the filmmaking craft can degrade so much i will argue there are films from the 40s that are sexier mm. than this yeah. for what they're not showing instead of this which is way way more overt than i even remembered and for 1992 i remember people being shocked about oh sharon stone uncrossing her legs but the whole damn movie is shocking this did not get an nc-17 well and it did I know they, and it did and then they made like 30 seconds worth of cuts even what's left is really graphic mm -hmm. <laughs> and good on them yeah i guess I, well, I, I don't know what the appeal would be without that graphic nature this film dull. was only a success i feel because of the titillation i i don't incredibly see. graphic yeah. and and, and mm -hmm. like maybe like in a smaller time maybe just the one scene that everybody knows from this movie oh, everyone knew that scene so, everyone yeah. referenced that scene that was the talk of the playground oh my gosh oh my gosh she uncrosses her legs and you can see everything and watching it in 2022 on my big screen tv you look at it and go huh wow that is <laughs> that is not not much guys uh, yes that's not a, everything yeah she's a she is a tiny vagina no <laughs> yeah, you see a little bit of bush that's it i mean it's a little more explicit than that but like yeah. uh yeah it's, it's something i think i hadn't seen in a Hollywood movie before oh hell and, no no uh, you usually see like specific. bush from the front you usually don't yeah i don't god i feel like i'm so gross this episode but whatever um, this is a, supposed to be a titillating movie overall so re-watching this i was like okay how is this gonna hold up and i got maybe halfway through and the fi it finally hit me has paul verhoven ever made a non-sarcastic movie i feel like mm. every movie he makes is actually a commentary on the kind of movie he is making. Huh, you know, Robocop is not pro-cop. Mm -hmm. uh, Starship Troopers is very anti-fascist, but dressed up to look fascist. And, and Basic Instinct plays a thousand percent today like a parody of itself. Mm. But then I felt like, do we just give Paul Verhoeven like way too much credit to say everything's a satire? <laughs> Could he just be really <laughs> on the nose? Because it's, and it's not just because this movie has been satirized so many yes. times that like you feel like you know the movie even if you haven't seen it, but it really plays like a satire, including the ending, which I laughed so hard. I laughed harder at the ending of this than I laughed at Shakes the Clown <laughs> or probably Noises Off because, you know, the the whole movie is about like, you know, she, Sharon Stone is this super genius mystery writer 
uh, whose boyfriend ends up <laughs> murdered and just in the exact same way as it happened in her book. And so did she write the book as an alibi and she's been planning to murder him this way this whole fucking time. Oh, it turns out she's connected to all these other murders, but her books are alibis. Maybe she actually has like a crazy stalker fan who's trying to frame her. Blah, 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 blah. At the end, the murderer is caught and she and Michael Douglas can just fuck like weasels forever. And, and, the, and it fades out as they're about to fuck like weasels and then it fades right back in to show you oh no she's she, she's got a nice pick under the bed she's gonna kill him oh. that oh, is for that to mean she decided to not kill him that's how i thought for now yeah for now but it's also no she fucking did it they tried to tell you that oh gene Triplehorn did everything she was uh stalking sharon stone and she crazy and she killed all these people and it's like no she was framed sharon stone framed her but the framing is so stupid. It's like requiring no. uh, like Mr. Mixiplix level of manipulating reality for yeah. her to like sneak in, plant all that evidence while she's committing murders. Right. Oh, yeah. And the timeline doesn't make a lot of sense of how she could get from here to over there to plant the evidence to do this, to do that. And it's like it also presupposes Jean Triplehorn also killed her husband and also held on to that gun this whole time. Why? And also, like, hides all her obsessive materials in the kitchen? And what? No. It's because because it's stupid. Because <laughs> Joe Westerhaus is really stupid. He also doesn't understand women for shit. Like, the whole idea is that either Sharon Stone has been stalking Gene Triplehorn or Gene Triplehorn's been stalking Sharon Stone. One of those characters has legally changed their name. I'm going to guess that's the stalkee, not the stalker. But then she moves back to San Francisco, where her stalker lives, which is not a very large city. <laughs> Why would you not move to Kansas? <laughs> Don't. Yeah. Um, it ends up being like really dumb, but that's like how enjoyable, how stupid it is because it's so overstylized. And Michael Douglas's character is such a piece of shit. I, I, Every, I... Everything that people make fun of showgirls for <laughs> is okay. in this movie. Yes. I mean, the love scenes are, are basically just, you know, <sighs> Michael Douglas is 48 years old in this film. He should have, be having back problems after these frantic <laughs> gyration love scenes. He should be like, oh, that was the fuck of the century. Now I need to go to my chiropractor. Damn. Now, he's, his character is just the worst. But I appreciate that about Michael Douglas, that he always was down with doing graphic sex stuff and playing I, pieces of shit. This would define his career. He would do almost exclusively those types of movies well he'd done that in the 80s Did you know yeah, beginning with fatal attraction fatal oh sorry yes fatal, the the begin yeah. the, the kickoff this was, of the, this was his corner that he was working and he worked it better than everyone else so. again i yeah. i don't know how nick and, nolte was the sexiest man alive this year and i'm very sorry ladies your guy was michael douglas too that was your, really that's yeah, <laughs> yeah but he's willing to go there i'm trying to think of other actors at this time who would are willing to go there Julia Roberts is who Michael Douglas wanted to co-star with this. Yeah. He didn't think Sharon Stone had the uh, act, not acting abilities, but star power oh. for this. Oh, and she, and she, they, she didn't. Her biggest part so far was a, what, five minutes in Total Recall? It's and yeah. she's awesome a major in part in Total That's why he cast her is because she had to play two people in a manipulator. And yeah. she's awesome in that movie. She's really good yeah, in Total he, Recall. You can totally see the seeds of her character in this film in Total Recall, without a doubt. Yeah. And she has such a presence and an intensity. You know, everyone brings up the interrogation scene for a reason, because it's a woman just 
utterly dominating men with her sexuality. And that hadn't been seen a lot in 1992. But all the men (laughs) are acting like horny teenagers. They are all like, I have never seen a vagina in my life. And I am just going to lose all composure right now because a woman is saying that she enjoys having sex. Get this. For fun. (laughs) I I always love explaining that the famous shot of Sharon Stone's nethers in this movie are sandwiched in between the bread of a sweaty Wayne Knight Newman. I'm shocked I was able to use this movie back in the day. And and just when I watched it for the the erotic thriller show, I was also, like you, shocked. Like, this is much worse than I remembered. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's not a good movie. Yeah. Except that it's a good movie in that it feels like a parody of erotic thrillers because everyone is so dumb they are so flustered by sharon stone every single character is just can't believe that this woman oh she's changing her clothes in the other room and she doesn't draw the curtains and you can see her butt and it's just <laughs> all of them just lose their they are so dumb oh, it's my great case. but all right, we have to talk about a couple of bad things in it. Sure. Sexual Do assault, to... check, mm-hmm. and uh, not treating the bisexuals and lesbians great at all. They oh, are no. treated as such an both an oddity and that uh, that th- that's gross. Yeah, that's uh, just a sign of how depraved she is. It's tra- treating them like a horny gang. <laughs> 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 that's what lesbians are. That's but, how. Uh, oh, that's everyone good. in this movie is pretty scum. Okay, yeah. it's it's not just that. I feel it's more an issue of representation more than anything else. It's not that bisexuals are scuzzy. It's that everyone is in this movie is scuzzy and bisexuals <laughs> are in this movie. And therefore, all the bisexuals we see are scuzzy. Yeah, but I love that even before it was filmed, um, gay folks picketed it yep. and were uh, blowing whistles and trying to fuck up them shooting and stuff. And obviously, because it's in San Francisco, I have to point out where things geographically make no sense, <laughs> which is a fair amount of the time. But I like that Michael Douglas lives on that one hill that all characters live on. He lives literally across the street from Venom and <laughs> down the street from Bullet. <laughs> well, because they, they all live in like locales with nice views and stuff. All of these characters live within about three quarters of a mile of each other. Yeah, pretty shitty views from my place there. Jesus. Mm, yeah. But, uh, oh, should we Lord. bring up Beavergate? Oh, I guess we 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 should. Out of out of respect for Sharon Stone as feminist mm-hmm. icon. Yeah. Uh, Question mark. She says she was not aware that's how that shot was going to go. But she also has other nude scenes in the film. A lot. And the director says she most certainly did know where it was going to go. Yes. So I am very much, <laughs> uh, very much uh, uh, believe women, all that stuff. But those scenes are lit and like, mm. like painstakingly lit. Like is even, I just watched the, I haven't watched a, a 4K version of the crotch sequence. I did for the show. I, I did oh, that for you guys. Thank you for your I, sacrifice. And uh, <laughs> like, it's very specifically lit and you took off your underwear in the scene. You knew that was happening. It's well, no, they told her to take off her underwear because they said they were getting reflection off her white underwear. Mm-hmm. But right. in the previous scene, her character takes off her underwear. Right. Yeah. I I feel bad because it's like, oh, well, just because she got naked in the rest of the movie doesn't mean she okayed this. No, but no, that's, that's, not, that's not what hand, I'm saying. I do find it hard to tell. How did she not know? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like this is this is 1992. 
that camera's like half the size of a car. There's like a crew <laughs> in the, there's there's no way you didn't know that was happening. That 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 can't be. You know how making movies are in the night with film in the nineties. Mm-hmm. There's no way the setup. The, Sharon wider, not hey kid, <laughs> not that wide. I don't know. Maybe she's correct. It just seems like it's very it, it's in it's both in the story and it's very mm-hmm. well composed. So it doesn't seem yeah. like an accident. I, I, I don't know, but I mean, mm. I don't want to add further flame to the fire because what that essentially means is she's not happy with it. She, right. or regrets it. And so why am I even bringing it up? What am I, why is this, why am I talking the most about this in this, <laughs> this movie? Well, because it is the, definitely the takeaway. It was yes. pretty yeah. fucking shocking that, yeah, we did not, well, it's not just that we didn't see that level of nudity. We did like, but on Cinemax mm-hmm. late at night, scrambled on your cable box that this is really graphic sexuality in a big old mainstream hollywood movie yeah. you know it was the most expensive script at all of all time at this point unbelievable and it was you know oh there's all these top line people plus this unknown but oh my god have you seen her she's so fucking sexy and she's great it makes sharon stone a star boom we're done yeah and it's referenced tons throughout the rest of the 90s you know there's going to be a parody of this film and that scene is going to be parodied a million times it's going to be brought up a million times there's an episode of frazier where niles says that he and his wife uh rented that movie and they had to push their beds together that night which isn't easy (laughs) because you know her bed is way down the hall (laughs) yeah this would this would have ripples through the pop culture landscape that i'm only now seeing die down i think anybody in a white dress in an interrogation room will always be a reference to this and you'll probably continue to see that throughout throughout time it'll always be a little funny oh enduring this movie over and over again just to get to that scene as a little child oh boy yeah well for star making roles it is kind of shocking that this becomes the star making role for sharon stone even though, i mean and she is naked more than she is clothed i think the whole fucking movie oh, it, would, it would become her She's trademark also... too she was nude and in, in, in very sexualized in like her next string of movies. Yeah. Well, well yes she and became... no. No? Well, yes and no. I mean, well, obviously she's going to go back and make Basic Instinct 2, which we've talked about. Yes. It is hilariously bad. But, but... Sliver? Going going like right from this yes. to Sliver? Going... And then, yeah, and then the, only, the only weird one is there is a lovemaking scene in the Sylvester Stallone movie The Specialist, and it just... It has no point in being there, and I think it was only because, like, well, it's Sharon Stone; she's not not going to do it. And <laughs> if so, but if you, you want to see Sylvester Stallone bang in a shower, <laughs> which is a scene most nobody asked for, and if you want to see it, I'm pretty sure he did some yep. stag films early in his career. Well, he did the one, okay, <laughs> and it's simulated. But uh, and also there was a love scene in The Quick and the Dead, and Sam yeah. Raimi cut it out. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know how much she showed in that, but yeah, it's. I mean, gradually she. The amount of nudity she would do definitely is a downward trajectory. Mm-hmm. Nothing. There is the lot, even sliver way less nudity going from that casino. Yeah. Uh. What else? I don't know. That one death penalty movie she made. I don't think she gets naked oh, showers right. in it. Sorry. No, no. She, she eventually like kind of moved on from that point of her career. I and I really like Sharon Stone, mm-hmm. but not those these movies. Uh, I don't like these movies at all. Uh, erotic, that was my takeaway from erotic thrillers. Like, I, ooh, do these even need to still exist? And, and most of no. them just end up being more offensive to people <laughs> than than being titillating nowadays. Do you think Netflix could make a film this explicit and release it to Netflix? I I've always thought like, why haven't they done that? Because you were hmm. you're getting a lot of 
I'm guessing HBO's Euphoria is doing something like that because, you know, I'm only seeing like, what do you call that? The radius of the news on what that show is doing in terms of nudity. But I'm, I've always found it pretty shocking. Netflix doesn't have like, it's uh, it's like Fifty Shades of Grey, something you can't see in theaters, something you can't rent on Amazon. You can only get it here, but, you know, it also has a kid's tab. So what the fuck are you going to do? It's America. I don't like the repression of sexuality. I'm, I've always been kind of unnerved by the lack of, eroticism in movies especially on mainstream streaming platforms it irritates yeah. me yeah i think that's why th- some of this just seems so shocking is that that people have been lamenting for years like there's no sex in movies anymore mm-hmm. and, i mean yeah. I, I i know why it's kind of i i separated that i do wonder if someday i'll like go to this website and look up just action sequences i don't have to deal with any of the dialogue <laughs> Fast forward i do that all the time it's called youtube i know <laughs> i just want to watch that one car chase because it's cool yeah, I, I I don't like this. It can here's here's a small quiz. It is one of my favorite Mad Magazine movie satire parody titles of all time. Can anybody guess what it is? Basic and, insects. It's it's you're getting no no hmm. no. It's, hmm. Baser instincts. It's basically it stinks. Ah. <laughs> Mad, you've done it again. Uh, but was this the first film to have a scare rouse sex scene? <laughs> has several where at least twice you think oh someone's about to die Hmm. i I do wonder if the ending would have been better if it would have shown that ice picked and then Mm -hmm. shown her hand grab it and then michael douglas screaming Nah, I like the subtlety. Nah, you like and the also, subtlety? I, also, well, I like that the camera, li- that it literally fades out. Movie's over. And then it fades back into she, ha ha, just kidding. Where it's like, they, you could just cut that last couple seconds and it is a happily ever after. Except that before that, you could see she was reaching for something and then she changes her mind. And so it just, oh my God. The fact that it's just like, surprise, no happy ending. Ha ha, fuck you. <laughs> oh my God. That was, it was just, it was trolling. We got trolled in this fucking movie. I loved it. Not the movie, but how funny the movie is. It plays like, uh, it's a comedy, man. You should watch it as a comedy now. Yeah. It's so dumb because everyone is so stupid. I mean, the the only way to enjoy this movie, I think, yes, 30 years ago and today, is in a theater with a group of people, uh, either getting quietly turned on with one another or laughing out loud at the outlandishness Mm. of (laughs) sexual repression in film. Um, Final point. Uh, Sharon Stone was 34 when she was in this film, and she became a huge star, and it is very, very unusual for a female actor to become the biggest star in the world from almost a no one at the age of 34. I, a, I'm trying to think of other. A mm-hmm. sex symbol. A sex symbol starting at 34 because, yeah, it, you watch any 80s TV, it's guaranteed Sharon Stone's going to pop up somewhere. And you're like, holy shit, is that Sharon Stone on Magnum P.I.? Yeah, she's got, but she's got that like. She'd been cla- gigging for 10 years at least. Classically beautiful in her voice, man. I love her voice. Mm. I think she's great. So, I met her. Did you? I met her at my uh, Christmas party for my work. She was married to my boss. What? <laughs> Damn, but how do we you still have stories i haven't heard you're doing this two shows just, like in a row. throwing them out now oh, i can take multitudes chris I, you know everything about me i share too much <laughs> on this show <laughs> was just as pretty in person it was kind of shocking i mean the prettiest people on the, on screen are always way more pretty in person i i just don't know why that is but like it's what jr talked about with noises off if i see a musical performance on tv I feel nothing. People in Disney costumes dancing in unison in person, 
I start tearing up. It, like it's deeply moving to me. <laughs> so never mind. We got to keep. Oh moving. wait, actually, I just unlocked a, a other memory. Once I was on a bus heading into Chinatown because she was married to my boss and lived in San Francisco. She lived in San Francisco at this time, oh, nice. and I was on this packed ass Chinatown bus where everyone's standing, and she pulled up next to us in a red convertible with the top down, and someone said, "Hey." Is that Sharon Stone? And the whole bus fucking tilted <laughs> for everyone to go look. Oh, uh, I should throw in, if you want to see what San Francisco was like pre-tech boom, this film is a good window for that because it's yeah. right before it started taking off when it was still a small city. Yeah. Um, Full of gold miners and whatnot. And then moving on to television, who's the host of SNL this week? With host Mary Stewart Masterson and musical guest En Vogue. Oh shit! Ooh, it's a fish of the '90s when En Vogue shows up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a big get for En Vogue. Their album debuts this week. Oh wow! Their, their first album. Yeah. Oh, they had to have a single. Wow. How yeah. how do you become musical star of SNL with your premiere album? Uh, Usually your album Promotion? has to be there's got there's got to be single or, or two out there because yeah singles are out they had like three or four hits off that first album that were just a massive massive yeah. but it's also the debut of uh, a special character Lyle the effeminate heterosexual on the downside of being topical uh, SNL as an institution occasionally has a sketch like this uh, Dana Carvey playing a guy who is very straight but just doesn't sound like it. He's wild, the effeminate heterosexual. It's all terribly conjectural. Why he behaves that way, he's not gay. He's just wild. He's swishy, yes, it's true. But he's as straight as me. I forgot how they do like two minutes of songs to introduce their recurring character. Oh, God. SNL doesn't really do that anymore. There's the you don't really get like your sketch theme song anymore. Uh, so it's it's not technically making fun of a gay person, right? Lyle but it's making fun of heterosexual. Come now, <laughs> come now, uh, come now. It's making fun if, of gay stereotypes, uh, but also yeah. saying no, I'm not, with a limp wrist and in <laughs> a list. Who would win in a fight, Lyle or Pat? Oh, stop it! I, I'm. Uh, Pat. Pat. I think I feel like Pat would fuck up Lyle. Yeah. I mean, Pat looks dense. Um, yeah, exactly. But I think Lyle played as Pat's partner, Chris. Uh, never mind. Dana Carvey did play <laughs> the oh. equally androgynous oh. partner of oh. Pat, Chris. There's also a pretty funny sketch where uh, Romans are pitching gladiator ideas. Wow. And they're like scraping the bottom of the barrel like, okay, but but what if we use nets with bees in it? So when you throw the pet nets, they get bees in their mouth. It, it's that level of pitching and it, you, you could tell the writers were channeling some of their inner writing room pitch frustrations into uh, gladiators and death room for two debuts that's a show girl lives with her mom can they get along what uh, where do girls usually ex- live <laughs> <laughs> uh patricia heaton stars as an executive producer of a new york city television show and her mother linda levin uh who's oh. from ohio moves in yeah, Linda Lavin from uh, Alice. And it runs two seasons. Ah. And uh, and also this week in L.A. Law episode titles, <laughs> Great Balls of Fire. Yes. Way to go, L.A. Law. Yep, and it, it does 
actually fit in because there there is a point where one of the lawyers is working with someone and um, gets up too fast and suffers testicular torsion and then has to explain it to his girlfriend. Say, no, 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 we were not having sex. I got up wrong. Now I have testicular torsion and I have to get it fixed. I got, I got Brock tuned. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> deep SNL reference. And then lastly, the video games of 30 years ago. We're going to do an all Genesis edition. We'll talk more about these on patreon.com slash later time. We've got Desert Strike, a helicopter game. Kid Chameleon, perhaps the raddest cover of the entire 90s. Uh, you tur- could take 10 different forms mm-hmm. and you had lo- non-linear levels, which was very unusual in 1992. Terminator for the Genesis and uh, two crude dudes. <laughs> You know, uh, tying into the urban wasteland theme with both games. In Terminator, you play as Kyle Reese, uh, which I don't think most people wanted to play as him. I think they wanted to play as the Terminator, but it's kind of cool to see the dystopian future. Two crude dudes, it's, you know, an urban wasteland overrun by mutants, and you're a totally swole dude who's got to <laughs> kill the mutants. Uh, where in time is Carmen San Diego? Where in time is yeah. Carmen San, San Diego? Uh, fi- a lot. Fifth game in the series, First one not to deal with geography. It covers uh, 480 to 1950 AD. And and it holds up. It I, I just uh, played it and got to say, made me feel really smart, easily winning a game designed for, uh, you know, nine Children? or 10 year olds. Then <laughs> Wonder Boy and Monster World is out. Right. Uh, RPG adventure side scrolling platformer. Cute and attractive, very charming. And then uh, lastly, we got the music of 1992 to talk about what came out during the week of March 18th to the 24th. And it's this Coca-Cola is a raising. big week, big, big, big week. Yeah, uh, 306 degrees of power by Sister Soldier, between 10th and 11th by the Charlatans, Code Selfish by The Fall, Honey's Dead by the Jesus and Mary Chain, Apollo 18 by They Might Be Giants, Three Years, Five Months, and Two Days of the Life of the Debut of Arrested Development, and Funky Divas by En Vogue. Oh, yeah. Those I last had, uh, four or five. Yep, yep. I had yep. three of those albums. My, mm-hmm. If you wanted to know what music I was listening to, because I can rarely chime in, Apollo 18 by They Might Be Giants. I used to draw the cover on my folder. A whale. Squid and the Whale, right? Squid and the Whale, yes. Yay! Let's close out 1992 with Vanessa Williams. She's number one this week with Save the Best for Last. But don't move. We had a lot more to talk about right after this. Now Are you a content creator like the good folks here at 302010? If so, I don't need to tell you how time-consuming it can be to go searching for that perfect video clip, image, sound, or piece of music to put the finishing touches on your latest project. How nice would it be to have a huge library of royalty-free content at your fingertips? Well, I have good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge, demand-driven library of 4K and HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan includes over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad. 
Whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's most important, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash 302010. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash 302010. Coming to 2002 with Lights, Camera, Action by Mr. Cheeks on the charts this week. Sorry, it's been sitting there. Mr. Cheeks is kind of his one big hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, previously, he was in The Lost Boys, but the name Mr. Cheeks, it, I, I got it in my head. That's a good name for a hamster, oh, and it's... it just won't stop. <laughs> All I can think of is a hamster now. I've never heard of him before, so now that's who he is. In my He's mind, that's, yeah. yeah. He's a big hamster. Uh, he puts out number one hits and chews on carrots. Other music of 2002, March 18th to the 24th, Attack by KMFDM. In Our Gun by Gomez, uh, Circle Gets the Square by Kevin Devine, Drunken Lullabies by Flogging Molly, Far Side of the World by Jimmy Buffett, No Pads, No Helmets, Just Balls by Simple Plan, A New Day Has Come by Celine Dion, The Best and the Best of Both Worlds by Jay-Z and R. Kelly. Uh. Uh, qu- quick shout out to Simple Plan. Uh, I'm Just a Kid is such a perfect I'm Angry and I'm Young song. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we had Happy Young song last week, so now we've got the good <laughs> I'm Angry and I'm Young song this week. I heard this uh, for the first time in my early 20s while living alone, full-time job, but part of my mind was absolutely able to go, yes, I am a kid and I am angry. Thank you, Simple Plan. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ain't It Funny by Jennifer Lopez featuring Ja Rule is still number one. I am sick of reading that pair uh, in the 2002 segment. We also have Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions. Uh, Isaac Hayes, Brenda Lee, Tom Petty, the Heartbreakers, Gene Pitney, the Ramones, and the Talking Heads. Welcome to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where you will not be joining Dolly Parton. Nope. Um, (laughs) Dolly bowed out because she is the best. I don't want to go nowhere, y'all. Yeah, and, make... and out of those that you probably don't know, Brenda Lee was a huge star in the early 60s. You hear rocking around the Christmas tree every Christmas. Mm-hmm. Gene Pitney, also a big star from about that era. Town Without Pity, fucking great song. Mm-hmm. 2002 in the news, we have the Golden Raspberry Awards, the 22nd Golden Raspberry Awards, and Freddie Got Finger Fingered Wins. And... Yeah. And he shows up, and he brings his own red carpet. <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking about Freddie Got Fingered when I was watching Shakes the Clown. It's just like, mm. these are perfect examples of bizarre auteurs, and I don't hate them. Movies of 2002. Ten year, let's move ten years in the future of movies. Stolen Summer. Movie with Aiden Quinn and Bonnie Hunt. I have not seen this. It's the Project Greenlight movie. Oh, shit, that's right. <laughs> it's the Project Greenlight movie. That that was fast. Yep. Uh, it, se- it seemed fast because we were watching the show. The show and the movie had the same kind of post-production. I think one of the big problems Project Greenlight made was it tackled a really serious adult movie for adult movie. And I mm-hmm. feel like if they would have gone... We're going to give a million dollars to make schlock, which is what they do in season three. It's actually a more interesting That's, to watch than a serious film for adults. It's almost the only way that makes sense because you uh, yeah, got to be something you small. make something quirky and fun. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, a, I, you know, I, when I think of 
what I expected the movie to be versus what it's actually about. Like I was kind of picturing like a little Miss Sunshine mm -hmm. that I feel like that's where they needed to aim mm -hmm. quirky, but fun. But this is a serious examination of faith and childhood and death. Oh, <laughs> death and, of a child. Oh dear. And then uh, on that note, uh, Harrison's flowers is out this week in McDowell, Elias C uh, Cotez, Brandon Gleason, Adrian Brody and David Strathen. Yeah, another like super serious movie because it's about the uh, war in former Yugoslavia and this lady's husband goes missing and she mm. has to go find him. It basically didn't get an American release and technically came out in 2000 in Europe. Woo. Uh, well, yeah. get out of the way, Harrison's but, flowers. <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk some trash. Yeah, uh, we got Brian Poston, John Vernon, Stephen First, Mark Metcalf. I stop you right there. It's not Animal House. Oh, what? Uh, All three of those guys are in Animal House. Okay, Harlan Williams, Michael Rosenbaum, and Barry Watson in The Unforgettable Sorority Boys. If your fraternity forced you to join a sorority... Yeah, very funny. Would you? Hi. Oh, my God. If you had to get sensitive... Let's share. Should you? Well, I'm addicted to porn. And if you had to keep your hands off your sisters... Who is that? Daisy! Could you? Wow. Sorority boys. It's like a walkie, man. Uh, Harlan Williams. Don't know what, what he does best. Good Lord. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the title characters, the sorority boys, have to get their alumni laid or they won't get funding or something of that nature. <laughs> and... Then they end up dressing as women and hijinks. They have to infiltrate the sorority that is made up of ugly girls. That's Delta Omicron Gamma. Get it, dog? Dude, what the fuck? It's subtle, <laughs> so it works on many levels. Yeah, I guess the only guy I can point out here is I think it's Michael Rosenbaum who played Lex Luthor on yes. Smallville for ten mm -hmm. years. Indeed. Uh, yeah, good job. Dude. Just uh, could could you make? Is there a checklist a, for things that don't hold up in this movie? <laughs> oh, there is a lot. This is shorter for what does hold up. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, let's see. Filming uh, sex with women without their consent. Check. Wow. Um, I think that's a major plot point. Yeah. Showing it to your buddies. Check. Oh, great. That's wonderful. Oh, this this was oh everyone hated this and it looked so bad and i didn't i watched clips i didn't even try to get through it, it but i couldn't find it anywhere it is still stuck in my head the way that he says porn in that ad though i had to throw it out there to see if <laughs> anyone else started freaking out let me ask do you think it's would be theoretically possible to make a cross-drev scene movie with cis males who are not cross-dressers in 2022 is that a possible thing to do i'm i'm not the person to speak on some of those issues but i will say i didn't find the concept that funny 20 years ago and i find it much less fertile ground for comedy now yeah i'm i'm thinking of kind of a two wong fu thing that's about drag queens but mm -hmm. then they wouldn't be tricking the women all the women would just be like yeah cool yeah, yeah. all yeah. right yeah you're a drag queen. i feel like no yeah a drag show is a little different from this genre which was a thing yeah you know, uh, from some like it hot to I don't know when that genre ended, but it 
I feel like it's. I mean, you remember, yeah, remember that first AFI hundred film list? Like half the comedies were like gender bending. Some like it hot and tootsie were like both top yeah. ten, man. Yeah, because they're both fucking great. Fucking bizarre. So it's possible to make a good one. Yes. So well, could you make a good one today? I think I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I. I just one of the guys. You can try and remake that. Yeah. That's the only female version I can think of this. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't want to tackle the project, though. I didn't want to tackle this question. <laughs> not that it's not a good one, because I was thinking the same thing. Like, how does how do you justify this now with everything we know about a peop- about a sector of the population that was severely underrepresented twenty years ago? So I don't know. I don't. What I can speak to in more more with more authority on is a a movie with Rona Mitra. Uh, Kelly Wright, Charles Dance, Michael Gambon, uh, Martin Freeman, and Sasha Baron Cohen. Ali G in the house is out this week, but not in the states. Uh, <laughs> it's I was a if I've never heard me talk about this on a podcast. The exoticness of being a Sasha Baron Cohen fan when his stuff really wasn't over here, and I'm yeah. downloading it off of like Kazaa. Me and my friends were all into that. It's like, oh shit, that dude made a movie. I can't wait to get it, and I did, and I loved it. And I can confirm it does not hold up at all. This format, which is narrative, is not Sasha Baron Cohen's best strong suit. No, no, mm-hmm. it isn't. But I, I have to admit that I, I do like it because I feel like they sort of know what they're doing because like the whole setup is literally saving the rec center. Yeah. And yes. it just gets completely out of hand. He ends up being a member of parliament and that, you know, the, the ends up like fucking over the prime minister and the new prime minister's first thing is like, and now we will destroy the rec center. <laughs> oh, come on. It has, it, There's, is... it, the opening is fantastic. And of course the rest of the movie can't live up to it. Yeah. This is the shot in LA. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the big LA gunfight stuff is really good, but it's yeah, totally worth I, watching. It's just like, it's worth watching when you see Borat and Bruno, and um, what's that other one? Bruno Two, the uh, dictator. No, that's the, the dictator and the brothers. Something are what I'm talking about. Like I really wanted oh, okay. to like those movies, but I very much don't. And Sasha Baron Cohen tries to sneak in. In those two movies, tries to sneak in Sasha Baron Cohen as shock stunts that just don't work very well. This doesn't even have that. There's nothing truly shocking here. Uh, it is a very formulaic comedy. And and if Diana didn't explain the very British, very like. If you don't know how silly Stains is, a lot of the jokes aren't going to work for you. Are you saying you're not down with the West Stains massive? <laughs> well, what? Stains. I, and I, I yeah. am only it's through just, Ali G. I, well, that's one of those things. That I don't know how well it's ever translated to America. It's like we have like Wiggas. We have, you mm-hmm. know, white boys who are like from the suburbs who act like they're gangster rappers. And this is the British version. And British black culture is very Caribbean focused. Mm-hmm. So that's where so many of the immigrants came from because, you know, UK owns all of that. So (laughs) it's even sillier, but I don't know if that's a lot of people, they don't understand that that's part of the joke. Mm -hmm. He seems to think he's Jamaican. Yeah. Yeah. And in the end, I think he ends up being like the viceroy of Jamaica. Yeah. (laughs) Smoking a and uh which just means uh sexy ladies and a spliff the size of a baseball bat uh worth it for sasha burn cohen completus and i i do love the alley there G is character. a cameo from borat in this film yes yes mm. there is but it's just it's just not the best format for his characters i love what alley G does on the show so much more than any of this just as a aside it's like alley G was like the first big character to hit but especially in the uk but yeah. borat is so much more universally understandable yeah well, I, I, I've always tried to explain it like they all... Ali G tackles like 
discomfort. Borat tackles racism and social niceties, and Bruno challenges homophobia and shallowness of uh, the fashion industry. So the, mm-hmm. all of, each of those characters exploits something different. And uh, I, that's why I, we did a whole laser time on the history of Shashi Baron Cohen. I encourage you guys to listen to it if you care to hear more of that. Because I, I love what he, the stunt stuff that he does and the, the stuff where, where the public gets to be the co-star. <laughs> that shit I love. <laughs> Moving on to the number one movie of the week. We got Donnie Yen, uh, Danny Jones-Jules. Like 10 seconds. I barely recognize him. It's bullshit. <laughs> Matt Schultz, Luke Gross, Thomas Kretschmann, Norman Reedus, Lenore... Varela, Ron Perlman, of course, Chris Christopherson, and Wesley Snipes. It's number one at the box office. It's Blade Two. Godlikes. Last time he fought against his sworn enemies. Stop! This time he will fight with them. We will bring you a truce to destroy a new breed of terror. You want me to hunt them for you? Calling all freaks. <laughs> Not know who you are messing with. Wesley Snipes, Blade Two. Uh, Blade Two, a mm. movie I did not get to enjoy as much as I wanted to this week. Because so I, when we rewatched Blade One, mm-hmm. I was out of the over the over the moon excited to re. Was it like I didn't know how well that would work for me rewatching the original Blade. And it's also bizarre to think right now, twenty years ago. We're like Marvel movies, man. They're in full swing. <laughs> we got a second Blade movie. Yeah, I feel like I got to point out. I'm pretty sure it's the second black superhero movie to get. First of all, second black superhero movie. Period, and that's if you count Spawn, which I feel like you should. should. But it's the first Steel. one. To... Oh, Steel. Steel. That's right. Okay, but it's the first one to get a sequel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's also I don't know where it is in his timeline, but my awareness of Guillermo del Toro isn't where it is now. Bingo. But, but this is like his breakthrough. Like, all right, you've made a couple of small hits, and you're going to make a big Hollywood blockbuster. Here you go, yeah. Mr. Del Toro. He, he did yep. uh, what Devil's Backbone last year, but Mimic. that's foreign. Mm-hmm. And he did Mimic, which was like the uh, the weird guys liked it, but it seemed <laughs> it's so strange. And yeah, for them to give him what's you know a franchise now is fucking rad yeah and that's like the one reason i wanted to watch this it was like i want to see right. del toro go crazy and he does not he does not no but no this is the least del of... tormo film i yes. can think yeah. of <laughs> but there are a lot of the signatures are definitely there specimens in jars yes <laughs> and uh this is the only film of his that he did not write the screenplay for Wow! All yeah, the like, other films, he was also the writer. David as well David as Goyer writer. back to um, delude superheroes <laughs> writing the script. Yeah, I mean the the basic plot is extremely silly in that I mean we know who Blade is. Blade hunts vampires, and then all the fancy vampires come out and say, "Blade, could you help us hunt the even worse vampires?" And he's like, "Okay, but you guys are going to double cross me," and then they do. It's the classic comic book storyline. You always want your hero to team up with the villain because then, oh, they're working together even though they were just trying to kill each other. This is such drama. Blade has his roots in comic dumb for a reason. He's very, very much a comic book character, but. But in this film, Blade is the only 616 character. Yeah. All the other characters are not Marvel characters. They're original creations for this film instead of just, so I bizarre. don't know, using the characters from the comic that has existed for decades. Yeah. But in 2002, that was just like, nah, 
We're not going to do that. We're going to wait 20 years to put our Morbius movie out because the, the public the public needs this to age like a fine wine. Well, and, and it does. This is so 2002. That's, oh, my God. Was my Going through away. the soundtrack, trying to pick something out <laughs> that we could go out with was just like, I, I really turned into an old man at that moment. This all sounds the same. This it's is, just noise. This all sounds like The Matrix. This is but, just all the drum and basing. I, I, Plot-wise, I thought they made a couple of mistakes in this film. I thought bringing Whistler back cheapens his death in the first film, and he doesn't do anything in this movie. All he does is complain about everything. That's it. He's an old man yelling at a cloud the entire film. <laughs> I, I thought they should have really given Blade a true romantic subplot. There's issues with that. The black starring actors don't tend to get romantic subplots it's very rare um yeah and uh i think that's at work in here and uh we're gonna see later on uh wesley snipes was very much i want blade to have a romantic subplot and it didn't happen Mm. Um, yeah Yeah, that feels like a missed opportunity to throw some romeo and juliet into the yeah you could have totally had a blade fall for a female vampire and have that create all sorts of drama but no doesn't doesn't tend to happen for yeah if we need to say because blade is the daywalker the uh what human vampire hybrid is that what he is Um, yeah 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 Yeah. what happened was a vampire bit his pregnant mom and so he became a partial vampire got all their strengths, none of their their weaknesses. weaknesses. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Yeah. And in this one, they've got to fight basically super vampires who are starting with killing all the vampires. And then they want to kill all the humans after that. And their design though, that's when I was like, now we got some Del Toro up in this bitch. They're like, they're like their mouths open, like a predator. And then they got like tentacles in their mouth. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Now we're talking. Uh, Ron Perlman, I think, gives a very Ron Perlman performance in this. He's, oh my he's God, very yeah. menacing, and he does not take his glasses off for the entire film. Fuck uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, you will not see a Del Soro movie without Ron Perlman, I think, after... No, movie. I don't think ever. Yeah, after this. I think he's in Kronos, which is like his first is movie. Is he? And then he's been okay. in all of his stuff. Uh, but this is him getting the juice to do Hellboy with Ron Perlman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The studio definitely did not want him. Which is where my awareness of Del Toro increases uh, a billion fold. Yeah, uh, that's coming. I, yeah, we'll talk about and, that and, eventually, and, I guess. And uh, I just like is in in our world now with Marvel movies. I think everyone gets better and bigger than the last, and mm-hmm. that's what you'll notice about the Blade trilogy. I I just think it's. I was reading around to try and see is this are these is this people's favorite Blade movie because I really preferred the first one but nobody prefers the third. Oh no, this is yes. trash. So like that's what we were used to in terms of superhero movie sequels, diminishing returns. Whereas Marvel has totally flipped that expectation. Like it, mm. you expect every sequel to be bigger and better, and we didn't get that with Blade, and I think that's a bummer. But it it is coming back. Yeah, allegedly. I, yeah. yeah this what I'd heard is that uh, all the Blade movies, each one is less good than the last one and i think yeah this one is not as good as the first one but just barely and it has enough like eccentricities probably because of del toro that was like it was worth watching i actually had a good time yeah the, some of the the fights i had no problem with the fight sequences uh, the and i was there. even looking because i was <laughs> i read i mean that the stuff the strife behind the scenes in the third blade movie can't compare to like pretty much anything but wesley snipes is not in a lot of these shots like it is a stunt he has both a stunt double and a body double because he's shooting two other movies uh this year (laughs) damn 
Yeah. Uh, but this movie, you know, again, I think it could have been a lot more. For for instance, they try real hard to shoehorn a message about enemies. It has been said, be proud of your enemy and enjoy his success. Is the enemy my enemy, my friend? Or my enemy? You and I, we have the same enemy. We want the same thing. Keep your friends close. Keep your enemies closer. It has multiple lines like that. What was this film saying about enemies? <laughs> that they don't exist? Uh, we're, like, we're the same, you and me. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's like such a throwaway thing where Blade is with that hot female vampire and she says, you know, we're much the same, you and I. Mm-hmm. Okay, you convinced me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's, that's almost how it goes. And I don't know what it was trying to say because it kept bringing it up again and again and again and then it didn't really do anything with it. Uh-uh. But I'd, 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 I'd love to hear what everybody in uh, the Laser Time community thinks about Blade 2 because I've, I've heard <laughs> vitriolic reactions of both just i've heard i've heard a crazy reaction to this movie it's the best it's the worst um i would love to hear what your opinions are on these because of, of all the 2000s vampire blue movie nonsense uh i prefer blade over underworld and whatever resident evil's got going on oh yeah tv Let's go. the biggest thing uh oscars people got Woo. some oscars uh this year and oh boy I hate it. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, hosted by Whoopi Goldberg again. Yes. Who I think people tend to forget about as being a solid host who can keep things Great moving. Host. Comic uh, relief. I wish you could get comic relief on DVD. God damn it. Oh, damn. Yeah. For real. Anyway, uh, Beautiful Mind wins Best Picture. Ron Howard wins Best Director for the same thing. <sighs> that's some bullshit. Uh, I prefer literally everything else that's nominated. Gosford Park in the bedroom. Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring and Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. But we knew Fellowship wasn't going to start getting awards because we know there's two more coming. Mm-hmm. Denzel Washington wins Best Actor for Training Day. Halle Berry becomes the first black woman to win Best Actress, and her reaction is priceless. Mm -hmm. She acts like she didn't know she was nominated. (laughs) She acts like her name was just called on Price is Right. She runs up screaming and waving her arms. It is so sweet. It's in in the coming weeks, her holding the Oscar in her face became the the icon of this entire award ceremony. Yeah. Because every time oh, you read about it in the dress. paper. Oh my God, that dress, that Elzab dress is so gorgeous. Was just, was just her holding it. I loved it. I, 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 that's what I, my, the only good take, I do like Denzel Washington winning because I do love his yeah. role in training day. But um, I know that people have criticized those two wins, you know, yeah. for things I can't yeah, entirely that's, understand. That's some bullshit. And to have, yeah, two black winners of the big acting awards and they gave a special Oscar to Sidney Poitier that night. Mm-hmm. And, they're all shouting him out and like waving their Oscars at him. It's like, oh, it really it it warms my my cold dead heart. And is, uh, is this our first uh, animation award? It is the very first animated feature film. Mm-hmm. Win goes to Shrek, beating Monsters <sighs> Inc. <laughs> beating Monsters Inc. I guess I deserved it. Uh, if you're talking, which film had mm-hmm. the bigger impact, and which film would go on to change the animation genre more? I guess I. Yeah. I think it's Shrek. Yeah. Obviously not watching that amazing Monsters at Work series on Disney+. Yeah. Plus. Oh, but the short that ran with Monsters, Inc. for the birds, which oh. I think is like one of my favorite shorts of all time. It's the Powerline one, right? Yeah, the, the birds on the Powerline and the big the big bird comes. and Ah, uh, yeah, it's so great. And Randy Newman wins uh, Best Song for mm-hmm. Monsters, Inc., which I th- is one of, if not his first win. He'd been nominated like 30 times. 
He finally fucking won. Wow. Well, good for Randy Newman. He should write a song about it. Winning the ass. Yeah, uh, he should write a song that sounds a lot like his other songs. <laughs> SNL this week uh, is hosted by uh, Ian McKellen and musical guest Kylie Minogue. And I remember this only because I don't know that I've seen this happen. When Kylie Minogue performed, Ian McKellen just sat on the stage and snapped his fingers and bobbed his head the whole time oh. while not taking any of the attention away. Uh, I thought that was a derbs. Oh, shit. And then he had to hop on a plane and get to L.A. by Sunday because he's like the only actor nominated out of Lord of the Rings. Yes. So that's nice timing to get a nominee for the the show the night before the Oscars. And I I, I shouldn't elongate this. It's just like this had a sketch and I just heard Tina Fey in an interview bring it up and it was about women in the writing room. And it's like it wasn't like vicious or like you would be offended. It's just you'd pitch a sketch like Kotex Classic and which, I love which is like most men like you'd like you'd really have to describe if you're in an all-male writing room you'd have to describe why that's funny and i literally kotex classic is a sketch about a maxi pad throwback to the 50s that looks like a jock strap that shows through your dress <laughs> and, and so swim. it's so disgusting yeah you used to have it's like a a belt with little <laughs> things coming off it with little snaps or like clasps. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the sketch is great. And Tina Face, like, I'm not saying like uh, I wasn't harassed. It's like, but without women in the writing room, you don't get sketches like that because it never would have occurred to a man to do it. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and the sketch is great. And you can see Maya Rudolph in a bathing suit. How about that? On the 18th, we got the debut of Baby Bob. <laughs> Oh my god! I, how did I forget about Baby Bob? Probably because your brain was wait. Hold, it was melted down by Scorch. Did did we find out one yeah. of our listeners uploaded all the Scorch videos onto YouTube? One of our listeners reached out to the creator of the puppet Scorch, heard back, got a stuffed doll, the talks. Wow! <laughs> and and a, a VHS tape which may contain the lost episodes of Scorch. <gasps> Whoa. That's very yeah. cool. I generally do not encourage people to reach out to creators of stuff that we made fun of. <laughs> as long as you're doing it respectfully. I got, because, yeah. you know, because this guy was a, uh, a puppeteer. He's still a puppeteer, a ventriloquist. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, they took his creation and they fucked it up. So, yeah, as long as you go with the, like, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the guys who fucked with you. Then, yes, please yeah. reach out to creators. But I, I hope no one loves baby bob because <laughs> oh boy you want to talk about creepy 2002 cgi mouth on a baby that will haunt your nightmares i mean because uh if we haven't described it this is a talking baby show new parents sleep deprived suddenly their uh baby starts talking how, okay, how so they can hear the baby. This is not a look baby. who's talking. This is not a look who's talking. They can hear the baby, and they have to decide if they're going to keep it a secret that their baby can talk or if they're going to brag to their mother-in-law who constantly brags about her other yeah, grandchildren. That is almost you know, classic dilemma. That is almost interesting, but you know what it's not interesting for? 20 episodes a year. <laughs> it's not going to work. Uh-uh, that's a premise you're eventually going to have to find an end to. Uh, wow, but, uh, this yeah. this was based on a series of commercials. Yes, Quiznos commercials. Oh my uh, god! Still ran two seasons, uh, about twice as long as Firefly. Just to you know, <laughs> make how, you. How did sad. it do against Cavemen? Though I want to talk about all TV shows based on ads. Oh god, that uh, could be a Laser Time episode. Yeah, it, it was. Oh, and they had they got such a good cast for this. They got Julie Fisher, Adam Arkin, Holland Taylor, and Elliot Gould. Elliot 
Gould is in Baby Bob. What the fuck? Boo, boo, Baby Bob. What the fuck? But for me, it oh, right on my birthday, one of my favorite oh. canceled shows uh, that's ever existed. Andy Richter controls the universe. Debuts on Fox. We finally know what Richter's going to do after he uh, bailed on Conan being Conan's sidekick mm-hmm. the first time. And the show was wonderful. And at the time, wasn't like any other show I'd seen in primetime television. Um, well, it's a live action family guy. They keep cutting yeah. away to zany wackiness. Well, it's, I think it's, it's Malcolm in the Middle East. And, but like, it's the stuff you like, or I like now, like the Tina Fey 30 Rock model, whatever you want, everything she does. It, except like he's also the narrator, and it's incredibly surreal and silly. Uh, and Andy Richter, I don't know why, is one of my favorite comedic performers. I love him. I love seeing him and everything. I love his Twitter. I love him on Conan, where he chimes in three sentences an episode. They're always the, they're usually the funniest. Love Andy Richter controls the universe. You know why, I think? Because Andy Richter is like the Valium version of John Candy. <laughs> hmm. he, he has a really John low... John Candy could go big. Yeah. But when he was down, he was... That was when he was actually the best. Yeah, but Andy, I, such a somehow funny Somehow that, they, <laughs> I think I figured out, yeah, who was our current John Candy? And a lot of people say it was Melissa McCarthy. Could it be Andy Richter? Andy Richter, I love it. If, if yeah, he just like poked him up a bunch? Yeah. I remembered a line from this pilot forever. He's like, did you just have sex with a girl I have a crush on? He's like, dude, you weren't doing anything. He's like, I'm shy. It's endearing. It's <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love I love Andy Richter. I I love a f- bunch of episodes of this show. I never got the DVD, and it doesn't stream anywhere. It's but it is on a lot of it's on YouTube. Nice. Oh, uh, Sean Gunn was on it. Oh yeah, Sean Gunn's fun and Paget Brewster. Yeah, what about oh, fa- recurring recurring characters? He works for like he's an aspiring writer, but does copywriting for like a Boeing esque missile corporation, <laughs> and occasionally he just talks to the ghost of the racist creator of the company. Um, I, I gotta look this up and see where this is streaming, if anywhere. What, what we got a clip, Jr. Which one is this? Is he set up? Uh, it is him talking to the racist founder <laughs> of his company. Yeah, this uh, something you probably couldn't put on television today, even though jokes on the bad guy. I work for the fifth largest company in America, Pickering Industries. They make everything from night lights to nuclear missiles. Oh, look! Here's the dead guy who founded it over a hundred years ago. Hello, Mr. Pickering. The problem with America is the Negro and the Jew. You're just a huge racist bastard, aren't you? Maybe so, but in 1903, I revolutionized the manufacturing of the steel ingot. What have you done besides write a bunch of short stories you can't even get published? I got one published. One. <laughs> oh, wow. I don't want to insult him further. <laughs> so looking up where this is streaming, it is not... But looking it up, trying to find it, the first thing that pops up is uh, Secret Life of Walter Mitty. It's like, I'm seeing connection Aww, there. Yeah. Like, okay, you got the, the same vibe. It looks like you're going to have to head to Daily Motion to, to watch this. Not very legal. Can I tell you my favorite episode that I never forgot of this show? He goes on a business trip with his work colleague, uh, a guy. I think they have a couple drinks, and then they wake up in bed together. And he has... <laughs> <clears throat> and they're both confused and have to figure out how and what happened. And it just turns out that Andy Richter, he wakes up instinctually to pee every night. And his colleague's bed was the exact same number of footsteps from the toilet. So he just got <laughs> in, the, in the bed with him on a business. I don't know. I love that episode. On the 21st of March, uh, Under One Roof debuts on UPN. This is a reality show mm-hmm. uh, where contestants are 
competing for a Fijian beach house. And UPN canceled this show twice. It aired it in March and April. Poor ratings. Show was canceled. It brought it back in July, repeating the episodes that it aired in March and April, what? only to cancel it again. And the final four episodes were never aired. So do we ever find out who won? Yeah, I don't know. Not if you only watch TV, you don't. <laughs> and, then, and lastly, on the 22nd of March, Chalk Zone debuts on Nickelodeon. Uh, this is very endearing. It started off as a series of shorts, and Nickelodeon picked it up. It cuts between regular animation and oh, of a child living a typical childhood, uh, but then he has magical chalk, and he goes to a chalk fantasy land. Uh, it oh. took two years from the airing of the pilot for regular episodes to start airing. The creator wanted to give the series an arc, but Nickelodeon said no, no arcs. Mm -hmm. Moving on, lastly, the video games of 2002. We have Sega Soccer Slam, <laughs> which is a game I liked, but uh, further NBA jamming of sports, more arcadey versions of sports with unrealistic super moves, more fun versions of sports games, in my opinion. Uh, Bloody Roar 3, the uh, is this the animal-based fighting game? And yep, I think so. A Monsters, Inc. game finally hits PS2. Which, for uh, some reason, I helped uh my husband play it because of you know co-op stuff obviously wow and he is thorough we played it all fucking night because this is exactly the level of difficulty i can play a game at something <laughs> for seven-year-olds i also had nice. a lot of fun i i thought it made the common 3d platforming mistake of not being a 3d platformer starring mario yeah never do that you it's talking to you sonic on the 20th of march we got a smash court tennis pro tournament and then on the 21st, we got Blood Omen 2 for the PS2. Dead average repetitive game. Do not recommend. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, actually, I have a rare book on 30 2010. Uh, Everything's Eventual by Stephen King is out this week. Yep. So Stephen King comes out with short story collections roughly every seven to nine years, something on that order. And this is his latest one. And it's really the first thing he did post-accident. So there was a lot of questions, you know, how's his writing going to be? How's he going to do it? And what he actually does is a bunch of old stories. Most of these are not new stuff. It's stuff that he had mm. previously written because it's a short story collection. Of the stories collected in it, I think 1408 is the best. It's a very very tight story about being trapped in a hotel room that is haunted only the hotel room not the hotel just the yeah. room itself is haunted and it was turned into a movie yeah John we did the movie and it was pretty good yeah the short story is very tight very solid recommend i think uh, i enjoy stephen king's short stories more than oh. i enjoy his other stuff um they're great he, he's a going, master of the craft going through was it dance macabre mm -hmm. there's yeah, there's a book where it's like he writes about writing, but it also has a bunch of short stories in it. And maybe it wasn't Dance Macabre, whatever it was. No. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, he can tell you a story in about three three pages. It's just an idea I had. And it was engrossing. Thank you. All right. And with that, we will uh, close out 2002 with the Blade 2 theme by Marco Beltrami. Yeah, out of all the like industrial and drum and bass stuff, listening to the entire soundtrack for Blade 2. It all just sounded too much the same. But then this theme really stuck out as like, it sounds like a spy thriller. It's kind of, but it fits in with all the stuff that they're playing in the movie. So like, yeah, shout out to Marco Beltrami. It's pretty good. All right, everyone. Take a listen to this and we'll be right back with our final segment, 2012, Don't Move.
internet and all the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watch. And for the week of March 18th through 24th, we have one of the most packed Classic Corners ever with my highest recommendations I could make. Let's start with, well, we just lost William Hurt. And we were just talking about erotic thrillers. And God damn it, if I'm not going to talk about Body Heat again. I mean, William Hurt had a lot of great performances. Hashtag me too moment. Uh, Marley Matlin accused him of assault. But let's try to talk well of the dead because they're dead and they can't hurt anybody. So broadcast news, altered states. Uh, he did a lot of great performances that were just felt very real because he was kind of an understated guy. But I have to talk about body heat because we we're just talking about basic instinct, which wishes it were body heat so bad. And then... 40 years ago this week, I can't believe how this lines up. So we just talked about Noises Off, which is based on a play. It's a film version of the play, and it stars Christopher Reeve and Michael Caine. And there's another one of those, and it's really good. Turning 40 this week is Death Trap, which is a black comedy mystery directed by Sidney Lumet, who did not do comedy, like, ever. Based on a stage play, I say if you like Knives Out, this is probably a good one to look at. It's not... A big cast movie. It's a very small cast movie. It's about a mystery writer who may be trying to set up a guy for murder, or maybe he's trying to murder someone else and frame him, or maybe the guy he's framing is going to murder someone. And it's super twisty turny. It also had a very controversial moment in it where two men kiss. And at the time, it was like, oh my God, they're kissing. And now you look at it and it's like, that is some puckered mouth. I'd kiss my grandma, just not that long kind of kiss. It's kind of funny now, but. Dude, Death Trap, hard to find. I'm kind of pissed off about it. I think it might be rental some places. Absolute recommend. So much fun. And then let's talk about a movie that became a play. Victor Victoria also turns 40 this week. Uh, written and directed by Blake Edwards. Starring Julie Andrews, James Garner, Robert Preston, Leslie Ann Warren. Who I am convinced, deep down in my soul, she is the basis for Harley Quinn and all the Batman stuff. It's the voice. It's the exact fucking voice. Also, Alex Garris. He's so much fun in this. This movie, also, we just talked about Sorority Boys, and it is about cross-dressing. Except here, it's the Depression in Paris. Julie Andrews plays a singer. She can't get any work. She's starving. She's literally about to prostitute herself to get a meatball. She falls in with this, like, club promoter, and they come up with this scam. Honestly, it's a scam that she is going to pretend she's a man who's the world's greatest female impersonator. Musical numbers abound, are wonderful. She ends up with this mobster, James Garner, who's, like, feeling very confused that he's so attracted to what he thinks is a man. And I I saw this as a wee little child, because it's from 1982, so it's 40 years old right now. I'm, I kind of, why I was never homophobic as a child, because it just presents, it's like, oh, some boys like to kiss boys, and that's just normal. They don't make a deal out of it. It's just, no, it's just how it is. You're like, oh, okay, that makes sense and it is so much fun it's it's got a lot of comedy a lot of great musical stuff performances are great all around i've never seen the stage version but i can imagine how it would go because it seems like you could adapt it pretty well and then huh, i am out of breath because we still got the big guy at the table to talk about turning 50 this week from 1972 it's the godfather you know no big deals just one of the five best movies ever made especially if you combine it with godfather 2 which i think you should written and directed by francis ford coppola starring marlon brando al pacino james Kahn, robert duvall diane keaton i just saw the trailer for the making of miniseries it's going to be on paramount plus that actually looks 
okay. It's got a good pedigree. It's got, uh, it was written by the guy who wrote the player, and it's directed by the guy who did Rocket Man. So I'm, uh, I might, I might get my pretrial of Paramount Plus for that. But anyway, The Godfather. It's kind of flawless. It looked like it was going to be a disaster because it's a bunch of these newcomers who aren't big draws, except for Brando, who's over the hill. No one knows who fucking Al Pacino is. It is, uh, it's a masterpiece. It, there's like literally nothing I can say. The performances are great. The the pacing is great. I mean, some people complain it's too slow. That's because you're expecting the Avengers, okay? It's not the fucking Avengers. It is a saga of a family that is also the American experience of being in a marginalized community that has to make its own rules and how even if you don't want to be a part of that and want to be part of mainstream society, you know, Al Pacino plays a character who gets pulled into the underworld, even though he's trying to do everything right, he still gets pulled in and it's understandable, but it's also like a tragedy that he he could have been President Corleone or Senator Corleone. And instead, for love of family and because of the seductive nature of power, he becomes a criminal. So, the fucking Godfather. I think it's in some theaters from Fathom Events. I'd love to see it on the big screen. If you've never seen it before, just because everyone hypes it up so much, it's just an enjoyable movie, too. You don't have to look at it as art. You can just enjoy it as a good time. So, that's a lot. But that's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming into 2012 with Safe and Sound by Taylor Swift. Featuring the Civil Wars, it's the promotional single for a movie we'll be talking about in just a moment. Welcome to 2012, March 18th to the 24th. These are the things we've highlighted as very cool for you, including uh, music like Port of Morrow by The Shins, Unexpected Arrival by Diggy Simmons, Radio Music Society by Esperanza Spaulding, and The Of Tape Volume 2 by Odd Future, uh, Colossp by Meshuggah. Meshuga and uh, MDNA by Madonna. We Are Young by Fun featuring Janelle Monet is still number one. Boom. This is a sign of everything being right with the world. Wendy's overtakes Burger King to become the second best-selling hamburger chain. Wow. Good wow. for you, Wendy's. Growing up, it was always this like epic battle for me between McDonald's and Burger Kings. And yep. it, to have them become third place is just like, Wow. World be changing, yo. I, I, I am a man who lives alone and is very bored and sh- changes up rituals and routines and sadness with trips to fast food restaurants. I don't have a lot of hot takes. I am, I'm not a fast food snob, even though I don't love it. Burger King is the worst in the entire world. It is, oh, I super disagree. Oh, it's the it's all bread and gross and too much sauce on everything. I, no, I just Mc, I, I hate McDonald's burgers. Yeah, oh, McDonald's literally makes me nauseous. You just like, have to I think will... of them as not hamburgers. No, <laughs> it's, it's Big Mac is a sandwich. Grilled oil. No, no way. No way. And their fries are, are not to be beaten. Mm, the fries make me physically ill. Oh, you guys! Too much ah. You guys are insane. And this, everyone has sharp opinions on this. I just wanted to get that out there. I can't stand Burger King. Every time I go there, I like never finish my. I, I'm not a snob. I eat hot pockets <laughs> as much as I eat sushi. I hate Burger King. Am I, I hallucinating this, or did Burger King 
bring out chicken nuggets before McDonald's. I remember like the I think that might have been the story. A, I think a big thing. I can't remember. I can't remember. I, I remember Wendy's making it a bigger thing because the first time I had one of my favorite condiments, honey mustard, was with Wendy's chicken nuggets. They made a big deal out of it. It was way after McDonald's, though. But Wendy's, is, as far as like a boilerplate burger, it's the best. I worked at Wendy's for four yeah. days. Uh, they never, they didn't fire me. They just never put me in the schedule again because I couldn't figure out how to cook the burgers because you have to cook the burgers. McDonald's, it's a machine. Machine does everything for you. At Burger King, they go through a conveyor belt. You have to flip a goddamn burger. At Wendy's is the only place where you actually flip a burger, and <laughs> I think it's pretty I, okay. I did watch a news article on this, and they said the reason Wendy's is probably succeeding over Burger King is because they go for the higher quality fast food market, and as the American uh. population develop its palate more, becomes a little more discriminating. That's why they became number two. Well, I've never understood why is Wendy's the only place that does baked potatoes? I don't... Chili. Why does anybody else have fucking chili? It seems like it'd be pretty easy. It's something that stays hot a long time. It's really low overhead. Yeah. It's a goddamn potato. Yeah. I just... Yeah. Just give me the potato with the cheese and some broccoli on it. No, that we would get the potato with that chili they have there. Mm, yeah, mm, mm. it's good. It's not bad. I have too many stories about my dad was a kind of a health nut, so we didn't get to eat a lot of fast food. So I fetishized it, and now I'm a monster. And uh-huh. and we we do well in school. And like, all right, kids, we're gonna go to Wendy's, and like, yay, we get to eat burgers and fries. And then he'd like bring over salad bar plates. And now I have to remember, mm-hmm. like, Wendy's hasn't had a salad bar in like thirty fucking years. <laughs> yeah. That's eating the salad bar at Wendy's. Some of the saddest, most disappointed childhood (laughs) memories that I have. Like, at least there's chocolate pudding after the shredded carrots. I could talk about this forever, apparently. Jesus. Uh, We'll move into movies of 2012. March 18th through the 24th. Uh, First up, we have Farewell, My Queen. By a bunch of oh, I know Diana Kruger, Diane Kruger. You know uh, uh, Leia Sedu, and you might know uh, Virginie Leo Le Doyen. Leia Sedu is from Mishpas Ghost Prout oh. and the James oh. Bond movies, and this is a movie about the last days of Marie Antoinette and the folks around her. And there's you know girl on girl stuff. <sighs> I I have to go to the bathroom. It's supposed to be pretty well regarded, but let's. Let's talk. We got two heavy hitters now, so I'm yes. sorry to just brush yeah. aside the the fancy foreign movie to talk about a incredibly unfancy foreign movie that I think is one of the best movies of 2012, if not the decade. Even though <laughs> it came out last year, but but not for most English speakers. No, no, mm. it is technically a 2011 movie coming out of Asia. Can't play a trailer because a it's in Indonesian, and even when it's dubbed, all you hear is. <laughs> Crash! <laughs> bang, 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 bang. Yeah, that would be the Raid Redemption, the most tragic title in cinema history. Yeah, aka just the Raid. It's, I don't know why they added Redemption. Nobody. Nobody. And it makes it sound like it's a sequel, and it's not. Yeah, like it. They, I believe, they couldn't get the international rights to the name The Raid because another film had already locked it down. So they had to call it The Raid Redemption, where it was never called The Raid. But this movie is awesome, and I. Thought, I thought was going to inspire a little more film revolution, just like mm. a mm. all action. What kind of budget is this? It is just a police force going to an apartment complex to take over crime lord, and it's almost like a video game. It's just like yeah. they go floor mm-hmm. by floor, and that is it. And ensuing nightmares every every time they go upwards. And yeah. it is well, we talked about this a tiny bit when we did our best of the decade 
laser time. Oh, yeah. Where you, you were arguing for the John Wick movies. Yes. And I thought you had a good argument, except you you have to have the raid in there, I, I think, too. I, that, I feel like that's the extension I of never tied that together, and even though we talked about it. Yeah, that yeah. I, I, don't, I don't tie them together, but I think you're correct, because that's the good stuff the raid did inspire. Other than Dread, which is literally just raid or raid redemption also pretty good it's amazing it's amazing but it's like we got a couple of years till we talk about it but uh, it's shocking that the americanized version of something is still very good they claimed it was an independent created production i independent thoughts i don't know because the raid was such a specific kind of film and i can't believe it was unlike anything i'd seen before but i believe even looking at it like no they only shot 120 minutes of film because it was very specific, like this is all action. Like this, yeah. this movie is nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. But what action it is? Because this has some of the most amazing fight scenes yeah. you're going to see in a long, long time. Yeah. It's based on the Indonesian fighting style of Siwat, so Say it's what? a branch <laughs> of martial arts. I wasn't familiar with, and chances are most people aren't familiar with. And I think that really increases the interest level. And it's filmed in such a way that they make use of the environments. Mm -hmm. A lot of times in action films, uh, it's just almost taking place in a blank space. Here, that is not the case. Everything is a weapon, including a freaking broken door. Oh my God, if you've seen this movie, you know what I'm referring to, because that is going to stick with you forever uh, <laughs> they do some amazing things here and if mad dog versus the brothers is not the best fight scene of all time it's in the conversation it yeah. should be part of the conversation if you're talking about best fight scene all time i'm not going to say it's a win for sure but you should mention it yeah and the the how this came about is so fucking strange it is written and directed by a welsh guy who is indonesia in indonesia to make a documentary about uh pen pen is it pen sac sealot or sure. just i mean i guess it's called sealot generally the the fighting i was making a movie about the martial art and was like we it met cool dudes you know uh eco uwes uh and yayan ruhyan who are you know two of the stars and was like who had day jobs they like did other shit <laughs> Uh, one of them worked like for the phone company and the other one was like, yeah, I just sort of teach at a karate school or whatever. And was like, we should just make a movie of this. Yeah. <laughs> and got all these, you know, non-professionals in and like a ton of students from schools and all that. Iko Uwes and Yayan Ruhian did all the fight choreography, which mm. is incredible. I can't imagine. And yeah, Yayan is not a young guy. He's like early 40s. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and that's who plays Mad Dog, and he's popped up in a whole bunch of stuff, including John Wick Three. Since then, because he's huh. fucking awesome. Yeah. And you'd think that it would just get boring and overwhelming. The idea of like, yeah, they get a couple floors up with this, you know, police squad, and then then there's a big gunfight, and now everyone's you know kind of on the run, working the trying to get down to the ground, stay away from everyone in the building. Chris, I don't know if you picked up on the Warriors reference. No. Yeah, there's a point where the the drug lord gets on the speaker system, and there's a shot just of the same as the oh, Warriors right. of the the microphone and his mouth. Let's get down telling, to it, Bob. <laughs> yeah, and he just says, "Hey, we got some cops here, everyone. If you do me a favor and kill these motherfucking cops, then you live rent free, and I'll leave you alone." And so everyone comes <laughs> out with kitchen knives and machetes to start fucking these dudes up, and. It never gets boring or tiring or overwhelming. It just keeps going. Yeah. 
so good. Yeah, this movie's this movie's fucking great, and every fan of action movies should see it. Yeah, um, mandatory viewing if you're a fan of action movies and you haven't seen the Raid slash Raid Redemption yet. What are you doing? Yeah, it didn't it uh, didn't seem like it made a ton of money, but like uh, as far as a it was a cheap to make and kind yeah. of like it's your classic cult film. It didn't do yeah. that well in theaters, but over time. It grew yeah, I, I, yeah, I know we keep bringing it up, but, you know, in a world of internet and streaming, one, I don't think we talk about the movie like this because it, we'd have to talk about, like, foreign distribution where that wouldn't be an issue. I think people mm-hmm. would be able to watch this instantly. And if it made a splash today, everybody would be watching this movie. It'd be trade to Basan-esque, and yeah. I, I sort well, of wish it was treated like I mean, that. Yeah, it definitely, it, it made its money back, mm-hmm. and then some, because it cost oh, yeah. about a million dollars. And uh, enough overseas attention, eventually, that <laughs> they made a sequel, which is just kind of more. <laughs> yeah, which I have not seen, because it's still like, this was amazing. And like, why, why do you do a second one with the same characters? Like, I don't know. Uh, just, let's do more. Let's show you all the shit we've come up with since then. To reiterate, this movie costs as much as Shakes the Clown. Not adjusted for inflation. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's insane. Yeah. The the Raid Redemption. I think highest recommend from everyone of the week. This is my number one by far. Me, yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry, Blade 2. Uh, yeah. Well, even though yeah. I have a lot of love for the next film, mm-hmm. I think it's it's the best of the series. I don't know. Two's you know? pretty good. Yeah, two's pretty I good. just, oh, I hate three and four so much. Yeah, me too. Donald Sutherland, Toby Jones, Lenny Kravitz, Woody Harrelson, Stanley Tucci. Amanda uh, Stein- Stenberg. Oh, God, I'm going to get trashed for not knowing that one. Elizabeth Banks, Wes Bentley, Liam Hemsworth, Josh Hutcherson, and Jennifer Lawrence. It's number one at the box office, The Hunger Games. Our tribute from District 12, Primrose Everdeen. Ah! I volunteer! I volunteer as tribute. Happy Hunger Games. This is the time to show them everything. There'll be a bow. Make sure you use it. Gita, you make sure to show your strength. Hunger Games. How to describe Hunger Games to people who haven't seen Battle Royale? It's just Battle Royale. <laughs> it just ruined it. Like, uh, no. A lot of people's reaction to this movie annoyed me, and that one bothered me the most. Like, yeah, that's also about kids killing kids, but it's about something else. It's not yeah. in Battle Royale. It's not broadcast for everyone to watch. Well, it's... that's what this is about. This is a media fucking satire. Yes, and, and also a capitalistic uh, satire. This, class yeah. warfare, class literal war. class warfare. The yeah. uh, the people at the top demand tribute from the people who don't live in the capital. They have to send their children as pretty much sacrificial lambs yeah. to kill each other on television. And in 2012, the Great Recession is still pretty bad. So I think the class warfare act aspects of the film would be even more strong than they are today in a lot of ways. Yeah, as as drawn out of a hat, uh, a child of varying ages and backgrounds from the different districts of wherever the fuck this takes place, because I'm not very clear on that. Um, Well, my my take was you get your name in the hat mm -hmm. if you get food. Like if you say, Mm -hmm. I need food, Mm -hmm. they say, okay, I'm going to give you one draw for that. And if you say, I need more food, then you need two draws for it. So the more food you get, the more chance you have of being picked to yeah to play to battle royale yeah. style. Uh, well, I say battle royale, not like the movie, but even like your Fortnites or or PUBG. Last one standing wins, but instead it's children given random weapons and tasked with killing one another. 
and it, and it's totally rigged. You can't just run off and hide. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to win. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, th see, that is one of the thing, uh, and I should suspend my disbelief more. But this is a world which has pretty much the holodeck. They have that tech. They have a healing gel, which you put it on and your wounds are healed in moments. And yet they still have miners using pickaxes to mine coal. It's mm. kind of like, really? Well, you if, if you gave the miners like the super technology, they could use it against you. Oh, I bet that's yeah. part of it. Because that seems just... to be a theme of this is how the upper class keeps the underclass in their place. Mm -hmm. You know, like evil Donald, Donald Sutherland even says, like, we could just take these kids and just shoot them in the back of the head and execute them. But no, we have to have one of them have the chance to survive because it gives them hope. And so people are busy hoping instead of revolting. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a pretty good point. I love this movie and I want a million more movies like this. I think it's great. Not not dystopian action movies about children killing each other, even though that's okay. I think they they do the killing very tastefully considering how much violence is in this. They they make you feel it without disgusting you and keeping it PG-13. But I love this is one of the best fucking female heroines mm -hmm. and the fact that she's female is incidental. Mhm. Mm this is what I want to see more of in the world. There are so many scripts where white, white straight male is like default setting. Mm -hmm. And you could just make it a woman or you could just make it a black guy. And it's not about them being a woman. And it's not about them being a black guy. It's just a good character. And I do want to throw out that was, of course, the original Alien. All the characters yes. were gender neutral, mm -hmm. and they cast whoever they cast based on who they thought would be best. Yeah. Uh, but it was written to be each part you say see an alien could have been played by the opposite gender or a different race. Yeah, um, that's, that was... that's all I ask as a killjoy feminist is sometimes the default character is female. And, you know, yeah, she wears pretty dresses, but her being female, just rewrite the movie in your head where she's a dude, nothing fucking changes. Mm -hmm. And that's that's like step one of progress is just slot slot in a, a, a man with boobs. Step having and to get married to that guy. Well, yeah. And then the fact that, you know, she's not very feminine or lovey dovey. And then she gets pulled into this thing where she's like expected to act much more feminine, much more lovey dovey. And she's just like, oh, God, God damn it. I, I was, that's a fun little undercurrent there. I was I was more shocked the movie becomes a huge hit. I think it's like mm. the, one of the highest grossing movies in the entire world at yeah. the end of the year. It's in the top 10 at least. Oh, it's, I think second or third. Is that like that we weren't really shocked by the premise of sending kids to murder one another. The big controversy I remember seeing on the internet was the ethnicity cast, ethnic casting of the children. That was, oh, that yeah. gained way more controversy than the nature of the Hunger Games story. Yeah. Because the internet was starting to begin to rear its ugly head uh, on a, on a mainstream level. Just, Everyone just using white male as a default. Mm -hmm. You're just defaulting to white and you're defaulting to male unless someone tells you otherwise, which, sorry, in the book, it clearly says That's this what I, character has dark skin. I didn't read the book. So, how, yeah, why were people freaking out over the casting of people of color, of people who were already written as people of color? But it didn't... It, Rue is a tragic character no matter who they are. I don't get it. Like, I just, mm -hmm. I didn't understand it at all. And it was like, it reminds me of starting to talk about those things on the internet as vocal minorities kind of sound like vocal majorities, mm -hmm. but just people super upset over their headcanon not being turned crystallized yeah. on film and possibly a little racist. Yeah. You know, what was weird is it made me confront a racism in me mm -hmm. in a very different way. I realized because Rue is from an agricultural 
farm farming district mm-hmm. and it said she had dark hair i pictured her as latino hmm. and i realized i made some racist assumptions there because i just associate latinos and farm work because i'm in california what the hell? I was gonna... and that's what i see i don't think of a vietnamese rice field triangle hat Exactly. No. Why was I making that assumption? <laughs> yeah, I, I actually texted you about that racism a few years ago. You should check. Okay. I was way yeah. ahead of you on that. No, uh, but that's <laughs> one of those things. I don't get mad at the movie for how come she's not Mexican. It's like no. I'd be like, oh, well. But just gosh, I have some bias. I didn't notice. It, but things that truly don't matter, and it just it, it, it's symbolic of like uh, of, of how bad internet discourse would eventually come, and and then mm-hmm. for the for the betterment of everyone. But how much violence? we're willing to tolerate in our films based on films that were meant to capture young people based on them killing one another. And I think this movie had to be censored in several other territories. It couldn't be released as it was in America at PG 13 because it was killing kids is, is a hot, hot button issue. I mean, there's, there's plenty of parents who can stand gory, gory action films. And then you put a child in danger and we go, Nope, 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 nope. Yep. It's, yeah, I, they they did a great job. Uh, I should point out, directed by Gary Ross, mm-hmm. who is a name. I feel like more people need to know that name because he's killing it. He wrote Dave and Big and wrote and directed what? Pleasantville and Seabiscuit. <laughs> and it's kind of an odd choice for this because mm-hmm. he's not an action guy. Seabiscuit has a fair amount of action in it, but not this kind of action. And I think he does. It's such a huge undertaking because the books are so popular and it's so easy to fuck it up. And this is... The adaptation is real clean, moves along, you and, know, and the, the design, and the very design faithful and looks great is so yeah. is understated batshit. I love how fucking wacky everybody looks and sounds odd beard, <laughs> beard choices. <laughs> like I, 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 I don't feel like I've seen a movie since like the nineties though goes that, that balls out with its visual character, its fashion and it's, mm-hmm. uh, and it's visual touches. I was really like happy to see that in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, and, and... yeah it, it definitely shows the contrast between the districts and the capital. You know, yeah. districts, everyone's very much in grimy work clothes, you know, just wearing what you have to do to do your job. When you go to the capital, everyone very concerned about how things look, about how you it's talk. Col- and... It's very colorful, too. There's mm-hmm. so much color mm-hmm. in the capital, and everywhere else is gray. Yeah, so you're, you're competing for status so you can spend a fortune to look amazing but then the person who's next to you goes well now i need to spend even more money to look amazing er also and i can't remember this is this might be apocryphal but like i think with the help of the poster in j-law it helped popularize the bow because working in games during this year the bow was not only introduced into a billion other games it became the best weapon and it was the one featured on the covers of those games to to more mimic this poster Hawkeye also has a big role in Avengers coming up, which is another bow. True, which mm. I would have, he would have been the first character I would have cut in my adaptation of the Avengers. He's just not there. <laughs> Bringing it all back around where, you know, Sharon Stone, just now you're a movie star mm. after Basic Instinct. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Lawrence had been in a whole bunch of stuff. Now she's a movie star. Well, we're, and we're huge fans of Winner's Bones. We knew this girl was going to go. I was jumping up and down mm. when they said, that they cast Jennifer Lawrence because every young actress read for this. Everyone wanted it. And and there's some some folks that tested it would have been really good, but I was like, it it needs to be her. This is like the the planets have aligned perfectly to have a, you know, believably rural girl in the right place at the right time. And so many people 
again, internet trolling, complained about her size, which is just the dumbest shit ever. Uh, she doesn't did. look like she grew up starving. It's like, no, she looks like she grew up to kick your ass. And uh, my last aside here, I was talking to her girl, it was like 2013, 2014, and her younger daughter got a cat and like, oh, what's the cat's name? She's like, Katniss. And I'm like, oh, is that after? <laughs> yes, that's who it's after. I'm like, because uh, she's clearly annoyed by the Hunger Games at this point. She's like, five girls in her class now have cats named Katniss. Like uh, <laughs> young young girls who can name their pets. A little, a, a wonderful hero for young girls and a cool name for your cat at the same time. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. think she's... Doesn't need an Oscar. That's That's better than an Oscar. Yep. <laughs> I wish people named their cats after me, but my name's not a fun name for a cat. I'm going to name it DG, just like a, okay. a remake of Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, the Hunger yeah. Games. I mean, anyway, but yeah, go back and watch. Good meow. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, going back to, to watch the Hunger Games 10 years later, you know, after all the hype and everything, and just being like, yep, yes. I got nothing else to say. Just, yep. It's just a big yep. They nailed it. And I, because I, I can't speak with a lot of authority on the Twilight movies, but they're. Ten years later are very different to watch, and they're they're basically trying to they're going for the same thing. They're adapting similar source material, and Hunger Games holds up so much better uh, than a lot of movies aimed at mass or young audiences from ten from ten years ago. Yeah, from ten years ago, so many reviews, especially from Killjoy feminists like myself, saying, (laughs) "Please, please, this is so much better." In Twilight, and it's it's a better example for children. It's a better female character. Oh dear God, we got the last Twilight coming up shortly. But, and then but there we'll was there. some Twilight bleed over, I think, into the series about hmm. are you Team Peta or Team oh, right. Gabe? Gail, yeah, Gale. that's true. And true. I don't think that would have been the case without Twilight. Yeah, that's true. It's I I'd forgotten how little love triangle there actually is in this one. Yeah. I think that there's a bit more. But it's it's very understated. It's there, but it's not the focus because who cares who you kissed when you're about to get stabbed by a crazy person? Right. Well, it does matter if who you kiss could determine whether you bully each other or not, which is mm. you know the major plot in at the end of it. They both survive solely because the audience wants a romantic subplot. Mm. Without that, they both die, or one of them at least dies. Yeah, right. yeah. Solid watch. I think it's on Hulu. Recommend. Yeah, I think it's on Hulu or Epics for you non-cord cutters. 2012 TV, March 18th through the uh, 24th. I Hate My Teenage Daughter is canceled at Fox. Too bad. Uh, teens who are adults uh, realize their daughters are the type of bullies that they hated in high school. Ooh. It was canceled with seven unaired episodes and uh, replaced with reruns of some other show. Uh, then Bent debuts on NBC. A contractor woos the woman who is hiring him. You know, oh. it's a will they or won't they? You know, because you should always hit on the person paying you money. <laughs> it's it's not a wacky sitcom version of the movie slash play about homosexuals during the Holocaust. What? No. <laughs> yeah. It it runs a full six episodes though, so yeah. uh, that was not a very long will they or won't they? And. I can't believe Doc McStuffins debuts on Disney Junior, meaning my shorthand for things children are watching that I've never seen is a decade old. <laughs> what the fuck? Doc this is McStuffins. great. This is a great. This is actually 
either the or one of the very first cartoons my daughter could kind of follow along with. It's very pleasant. It's very light. It's got a good role model. It's about a little girl kind of inhabiting a toys-like universe. Uh, her toys come alive only for her. She fixes broken toys. Oh, okay. nice. I like the creator described it as cheers for preschoolers. That makes no <laughs> sense. I've, I, I've seen that. There are no cheers like characters. <laughs> I, I don't think it really fits, but I, I think there should be a lot more of shows like this, you know, have a teacher or fireman or policeman for kids to uh, look up to and have them in that role as kids. It's a perfect fit. And then lastly of uh, video games. Oh boy. Connect Rush, a Disney Pixar adventure. Horrendous. God damn it, I hate how much Disney supported the Kinect. The mini games are dirt, simple, and the Disneyland Kinect game was at least interesting in that you could walk around Disneyland. Mm -hmm. You know, there was some like coolness factor to that. This, there's nothing. There's no interesting hub. Yep, just mini games. It's just a bunch of dirt, simple games. Wave your hands. We. Ninja Gaiden 3 is still is out for PS360 and still on my list of games I really want to play because I didn't get it. And now I'm Elden Ringing and Souls Borning around and really want something more difficult. There is Ninja a bit of the old cognitive dissidence where the cutscenes focus on, oh, the high cost of killing someone. And meanwhile, when you're playing the game, you <laughs> kill hundreds of people to advance one level. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, Resident Evil Operation Raccoon City, an odd side shoot of Resident Evil that I'd prefer. Bland and non-memorable. No atmosphere, which is killer for a Resident Evil game. Silent Hill HD Collection is out. Is this the first time Konami messed up? <laughs> it is, <laughs> and it was messed up bad. This is pretty much the example everyone goes to when someone asks, well, it's it's an update. It's a remaster. How bad could they do it? The answer is this game. So one of the reasons this is so bad is because Konami lost the source code to the Silent Hill game. <laughs> and they had to scrounge around and they found an early buggy version of the source code and they used that. So this game plays far worse than the games it was remaking from Master. 14 years ago. It all up some of the graphics in a way that made it worse. Silent Hill is famous for its fog. It creates this atmosphere and this mood. And then they up the fog to get rid of it to such a degree that you can see where the world ends. Like, <laughs> you can go, I'm playing, oh, it's a game. It stops right there. Oh, watch out for that guy a mile away. Yeah. <laughs> so i i played silent hill 2 for the first time when i moved to japan i've been living there first time uh living alone in a house in rural japan late at night in the middle of a freaking thunderstorm <laughs> and i have never had such a scary video game experience before or since yeah. and this remake just washed away any memory of that terror it's just like oh no no you also <laughs> got it uh, actively will hurt your memories do not play this game hand cramp warning for kid icarus uprising for 3ds the third and final kid icarus game it would seem okay. that that came with I, a stand to play the game with your style you couldn't play the game unless you properly unless you had three hands or the stand that came with it 
It, yeah, I, I tried uh, playing it, and it is it is literally not designed for humans. I do not get it. They they expect you. It's it's if you look at how this game is meant to be played. Yeah, three hands. Play it with three hands. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's an online shooter. I've never used the 3D on a 3DS, so I don't know how it works for this game. It's fine. Uh, but the 2D version is pretty beautiful. Mm -hmm. But I just couldn't play it because I don't have three hands. <laughs> my box copy hopefully will fetch me a fortune if I continue to hold on to it. It's going to put my kids through college. Never opened it. <laughs> I only played. I played it at a bunch of uh, uh, conventions and just. I'm not going to play this. But uh, lastly, Total Total War Shogun 2, Follow the Samurai. Expansion DLC for uh, Shogun. Shogun 2. Uh, fantastic game. It's a sequel to the game that launched the entire Total War franchise. Mm -hmm. uh, the only win condition is to become Shogun. The tactics and strategy all play against each other in a beautiful choreographed ballet of gameplay. Uh, it has a perfect theme, like almost all Total War games. It very much feels like you're in the Senjuku Jidai, and it's a great strategy game if you're looking for a strategy game. Mm. And then uh, we have also very even more lastly, we have a book, Wild from Lost to Found on the Pacific Crest Trail by Cheryl Strayed. Oh, so, yeah. What a name. Yeah, this is a, a great book. A woman's mom dies, and she just ruins her life in a grief spiral. Uh, she starts cheating on her husband. She starts doing drugs, eventually heroin, and generally just makes her life a big, big mess. And she decides the only way to save herself is by hiking the Pacific Trail, which is a hiking path from Mexico to Canada. And she does this with no preparation, oh. which is insane she yeah could have absolutely died doing this but it's a fascinating journey i've always been the pacific crest trail you know maybe when i retire i'll do it it's it's a great great book highly recommend did you see the movie with reese witherspoon i haven't seen the movie is it any good i don't know okay i've heard it's pretty good yes yeah. oh okay it's coming together but i'm sure it can't get as in-depth as the book does so no uh the book's you know much more of a psychological journey because you know you're you're traveling and she's trying to kind of like wash out her non-optimal life decisions as she's going through physically exhausting and uh, just punishing uh trail work cool. all right and we're gonna tell you in a second who died and who lived during this period march 18th to the 24th, 30, 20, and 10 years ago. But real fast, let's tell you what what else we got going on. Patreon.com slash LazerTime is how you can support us. We'll give you some free stuff, including uh, we got an all we got an episode with all of your thoughts on the the films, video games, TV of February. So go check that out. Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Got a new bonus episode of Bonus Time with Matt and I talking about Russia and the differences between Universal Hollywood and Florida. It's going to be a bloodbath. Uh, and then Laser Time should be mostly Oscar-focused this week. And, oh, probably we'll talk about more Elden Ring on Video Game Apocalypse on Friday. Die, where can people find you? They can find me on the Twitter at ListenInerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. That's 302010podcast. And coming up next week, we had Wesley Snipes in Blade 2, and we had Woody Harrelson in Hunger Games. Oh, I wonder if they can play basketball together. Oh, man. Love that movie. <laughs> also, we have a kind of underrated David Fincher movie about getting trapped in a house. And mm. we have a, a movie that comes really close to Shakes the Clown. It might be better than Shakes the Clown as a punchline to something. 
it seems like it would be directed by Bobcat Goldthwait. It's in fact directed by Danny DeVito. But Robin Williams is in it, and so is Edward Norton, and clowns are involved. <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus, we're going to watch Death to Smoochie. Oh, oh, wow. okay. <laughs> oh god and wrath of the titans too no oh no oh that's even oh, worse it's gonna be a weird week man weird, oh, weird jr where can people find you at they can find me on the twitter at j-r-r-a-l-l-s they can also find me on the podcast oh. talking terrific television chronological examination of the sopranos this week we are covering walk like a man that's the episode where christopher and polly get in their biggest fight and uh, chris Christopher shoots J.T. Dolan. Mm. All right. Well, with that out of the way, we can find out who died during this period of 30, 2010, 30, 2010 years ago. Big drum roll. Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> they all waited a week. There's twice as many next week. <laughs> oh, what a terrible tease. We can't yeah. control this. All right. But with that out of the way, how about my birthdays? Oh, birthday is a doodly doo. A ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Oh, all right, so I really, really struggled with who to do the birthday quiz this week because we have two incredible people hitting their centenaries this week. Huh. But shout out to Russ Meyer. Wow. What? Would have been 100 on March 21st. Oh, okay. And on March 20th, one of my heroes, Carl Reiner, he would have been 100. Damn, he lived a long time. He, he died like, lived- right before the pandemic. He right before Trump was kicked out of office. That's all he was living for, and he didn't quite make it. Oh, his old man complaining on Twitter was so wonderful right to the end. But, yeah, so go watch a Carl Reiner movie and then watch, um, I don't know, Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill, or Beyond the Valley of the Dolls for Ralph Meyer, R.I.P. Instead, we're going to talk about someone turning 75, 75, born March 19th, 1947 in Greenwich, Connecticut. Her background is incredibly insane. Her dad was the doctor who fought the first major outbreak of Ebola and was personal doctor for a time to dictator Mobutu Sese Seko of the Congo. Okay. Yeah. She was off in boarding school for that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Then the family joined a group called Moral Rearmament, and she sang in their musical group Up With People. Oh, shit. I... Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Who used to be in a cult? Well, she left the cult, uh, went to college, and now she has... Three Emmys, three Tonys, three Golden Globes, and eight Oscar nominations. Wow. Zero wins. That is the biggest Oscar loser of all time. <laughs> so, all right. The biggest loser. Yes. Uh, shit. Peter O'Toole had eight nominations, but he got an honorary award. She has not been given an honorary award yet. Glenn, She's only 75. Glenn Close isn't 75, is she? It is Glenn Close. Whoa! See? She's seventy five now, bitch. See, that's that's what that's what a, a shield rewatch gets you. I was I'd done close on the brain. There and... you go. Yeah, she was in up with people. What? Um and yeah, part of a cult. Oh my god. And then, and then she left the cult. She was not still up with people when they did the Super Bowl halftime show. I was very disappointed. <laughs> I only know it from a Simpsons joke, but I, I just I, know, I forget it's real. It's anyway, movies of hers we have talked about. Mary Riley, Paradise Road, Air Force One, where she plays the vice president, Disney's Tarzan, Cookie's Fortune, Mars Attacks, Hamlet, the Mel Gibson one, Albert Knobs, Hook, Dangerous Liaisons, Reversal of Fortune, 101 and 102 Dalmatians, and Fatal Attraction. Bringing it all back home. How did she not win an Oscar for 102 Dalmatians? Unbelievable. I know. Unbelievable. I know. Uh, We should have her with a movie with Emma Stone and call it Cruella Generation. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be so pissed off if they keep putting off giving her an honorary Oscar figuring she's got to win soon. And then if she dies, I'll riot. 
because she's someone who can do everything. Yeah. Look, look at that list. Drama, comedy, weepies, fun stuff. Yeah, she was Glenn a Close pi- is rad. She played a male pirate in, a, in Hook. Don't, let's not forget yeah. that. Yeah. And come on, as like the Nancy Reagan in Mars Attacks, she's so fucking funny. Yes. yes. All right. Well, let's uh, patreon.com slash laser times how you can support the show. Tell a friend, maybe. Thank you for listening. Let's close out with uh, En Vogue. My lovin'. You're never going to get it. This song's so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> now it's time for the breakdown. Right. No, you're never going to get it. Not this time. 